Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the Outer Hebrides. This is the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon, joined by Jake McGee. Good evening. <laughs> good evening. And by Dave Somerville. Yep, good evening. Just uh, Dave joining you from, uh, obviously, Stornoway as well, and Jake from the moon with uh, with the slight delay there. <laughs> Slight time delay. That's known as latency. Dude. Latency. That's all it is. Lag. Um, lag. Um, so, uh, general, we're going to jump right into it because we've got a full score, an absolute full bunch of week fourteen games to get through. Uh, we're going to go as quick as we can um, so that we can get into our Winifel Awards, uh, rapid fire week fifteen preview, and of course, random stats. And don't forget, guys, after this week, there is only four weeks remaining four games for these teams to get themselves into the playoff hunt or into the playoffs themselves and uh, we are going to start gentlemen and we are starting with the new england patriots pittsburgh steelers thursday night football at akashur stadium in front of 66,376 fans jake mcgee you saw this game what did you make of it um, it's I've had a come to Jesus moment. Um, it's a, a, t- a true lose lose situation uh, where Pittsburgh have now lost to two two win teams in a row, uh, and I'm here to officially retire my contribution to the MVP champ. Um, and I'm also here to say Juju had a good game. So really strange week for me. Um, but as for the Patriots, the, the lose for them is uh, news coming out that Bill Belichick or they're moving on from Bill Belichick, which I would like to point out that they're saying after the Germany game, which I called. Um, but that's the news. But he's obviously answering his famous, I'm on to Kansas. Um, and his things, but their win, and they won this game, <laughs> kind of hurts them going forward in terms of draft picks. Um, but the actual game itself, lots of penalties. Um, lost the Patriots early, uh, or cost them early. But some big plays from Juju, he, like I say, went four for 90. Uh, that led to an Ezekiel Elliott touchdown catch. Uh, there was a JC Jackson interception, but that was overturned by a penalty and resulted in the Steelers actually getting a field goal. There was uh, a few punts and then an actual interception, this time by Jabril Peppers, uh, which gave great field position. And two plays later, the first of Hunter Henry's touchdowns. Uh, the Steelers could not run the ball to save their life. Um, Harris went 12 for 29, 2.4 average, and Warren went 7 for 11, 1.6 average. They just could not get it going. I'm pretty sure Mitch ended up as their lead rusher, which says a lot. Um, After Hunter Henry's second touchdown grab, the Steelers did respond with a deep pass to Deontay Johnson. And it was 21-10 at half, which means they had achieved the over by half. So slightly better game than what I thought I was getting, to be honest. Um, mentioned Ezekiel Elliott earlier. He had a big game in Ramondi Stevenson's absence. He went 22 for 68 on the ground, 7 for 72, and a touchdown in the air. And this was a game, kind of two well-coached defenses and two offenses with little to no identity. Uh, Bailey Zappi interception had the Steelers at the 16-yard line. They ended up turning it over on downs. And then after a three and out, the Steelers block a punt followed by a defensive pass interference from J.C. Jackson. Mitch managed to sneak one in, and a two-point conversion. We were at 21-18. There was no late drama in this game. Kind of petered out, and the Patriots moved to 3-10, and, and the Steelers, 
very strangely were not a seven and four team, and they proved that by then losing to the Cardinals and the Patriots. So they now sit at seven and six, and even that is a bit generous, I think. Yeah, twenty-one eighteen to the Patriots there, and um, <clears throat> the Steelers look like they may be in some real trouble. As you mentioned, the Patriots three and ten, not in the draft uh, any use, um, and the Pittsburgh Steelers fall to seven and six. It's a huge tie in the AFC at seven and six. So, gentlemen, we're going to move on, and we come to the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field in front of sixty-two thousand one hundred and eighty-five fans. Um, Dave, you watch this one. A bit mm. of a surprise. Talk, tell us all about it. Just a little bit of a surprise where the Chicago Bears see off the Detroit Lions and in style because the Bears win by 28 points to 13. And I don't think anyone uh, called this, not, not even Bears fans were even remotely thinking uh, this was a possibility. Uh, but I'll take you through some of it. Uh, Chicago on their opening drive went for a touchdown, uh, which is very, very rare. Uh, the the very first play of the drive, Justin Fields threw um, for just a yard. However, that was the worst play on the entire drive because it Fields was just, he just looked like a competent franchise quarterback. Marched down the field, and in the end, he it was a touchdown. Uh, DJ Moore, of course, had to get on the sheet set, uh, score sheet seven zero, and um, the next score. Very next Chicago play, actually, uh, because they marched down the field to get a field goal uh, to make it 10-0 uh, before Detroit finally hit back in the second quarter. Um, they managed to get the touchdown. However, uh, there was maybe a little bit of uh, unsureness around Detroit in the air as um, Riley Patterson made uh, a terrible uh, attempt at the extra point to make it 10-6. Uh, and going into halftime, it was looking pretty good for Detroit since they went down the field on their next drive and managed to get another touchdown. And this time, Riley Patterson did get uh, a the extra point. Um, it was actually Jared Goff threw, throwing to Josh Reynolds for eight yards and went 13-10 at half. But that was it from the Detroit Lions because they were shot out by the Chicago Bears in the second half uh, with Justin Fields just looking amazing and that's not something we see very often uh, about Justin Fields came away with the game with um, uh, 19 or 33 for 223 yards we don't often see Justin Fields getting over 200 yards through the air he had one touchdown and also one rushing touchdown where he was 12 carries for 58 yards Detroit Lions were just all at play Jared Goff on the other hand well we spoke earlier on in the season 20 of 35 he was today, uh, Today he got back on Sunday, 161 yards, one touchdown, but two picks. What a record. I mean, he's still, he's still hurting from that record. Uh, that is not a record, the nearly record, we'll call it. Um, but he, he was just struggling to find a lot of his targets there, uh, whereas Justin Fields was picking brilliantly uh, his, his targets. But uh, yeah, Chicago shutting out the Detroit Lions in the second half, which again is is this a turning corner for them? Um, but they held they they held their ground. It's a massive step forward. Um, I think I call this Chicago's most impressive game of the entire year. Goff obviously throwing for two uh, interceptions, and he was sacked four times. So um, 
yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. it they, they looked much better uh, in the second quarter, but that was it. Three quarters um, just looking terrible is not how you win a game. And the Lions no longer looking like a playoff team, I'm afraid. No, um, it's surprising because the, the Lions are still nine and four. Uh, but mm. the, the recent weeks, last three weeks, Jared Goff in particular has looked terrible. Bears are they, up to five yeah, and eight. They could have passed for a four and nine team, is, is the kind of, is what. You know, from what I took from the game, and you know, the Bears could have been mistaken for being the nine and four team. So that—that's how topsy turvy and reverse roles it was. Three weeks ago, uh, the Lions were in the conversation with being arguably in the top two teams in the NFC, and now mm. it's, they just look absolutely terrible. Uh, Bears go to five and eight, as I say, they're right back in the playoff mix at five and eight. That's unbelievable. Um, uh, so, you know, a big shout out to Ben Isaacs and Brian McGrath and Callum Blaine, our resident Bears fans. Oh, my word. Um, the NFC North is really cooking up. And we're going to take it now, gentlemen, to the NFC South with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers met the Atlanta Falcons at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in front of 69,496 fans. Jake McGee, Battle of the South. What did you think? <laughs> It was uh, an interesting game, uh, to say the least. Um, Baker Mayfield was pretty awful, uh, taking sacks, missing passes, um, but came up when it mattered the most. Um, and then for the Falcons, Desmond Ridder, despite a very good box score, feels like finds ways to lose. Um, at one point, they had 31 dropbacks to 11 runs. It just was very imbalanced, as we've said all year with the Falcons. Um, Ridder, if you look at his stats, looks fine, but Miss Bijan for a touchdown, had a bad inception, two fumbles, had a safety. Even Youngway Koo, the always reliable Youngway Koo, went one for three. So, summed it up for, for the Falcons. Now, for the game itself, the, the books opened with a 55-yard field goal. Um, the Falcons responded with a 16-play, eight-minute opener. Um, just for a chip shot field goal, they couldn't punch it in. Uh, Bucks went three and out, uh, but muffed a punt out of bounds, uh, and then an interception from Davis. Uh, it was originally a pick six, but called back to the eight. No matter, though, because two plays later, Baker waltz in for a touchdown. Um, there was another fumble, but went out of bounds, forced from Levante Davis, so Falcons were, were living dangerously. But they did manage to answer with Cal Pitts. Um, it was, yeah, this game, in terms of Catalyzed an on-field position. Atlanta just couldn't couldn't do it. Uh, missed a 50-yard field goal. Um, he had hit 24 straight at that point. Uh, there was a very sloppy end to the second half. Uh, three and out, and then a safety called by Winfield. Uh, Winfield became the second DB since 2000, with at least three sacks, three forced fumbles, and three fumbles recovered in a single season. So he's having a, a great year. I believe he's in a, a contract year as well, so... Great time to be doing it for him. Um, where were we after the Winfield one? There was another three and out, another fumble. Uh, ended in a another 52-yard field goal miss. You can kind of see that the state of this game. Uh, the second half didn't start much better. Uh, there was five combo uh, combined punts, four of which were three and outs. Winfield then had an inception taken away by a penalty. Uh, it was actually five consecutive three and outs for the Bucks offense. Um, so the defense was really having to to play overtime. They they did eventually have a nine play touchdown drive dump off to Rashad White. 
Uh, halfway through the third quarter, Mike Evans got his only catch of the game for eight yards. Uh, Bijan ran in for 19-17. There's a field goal, 22-17. Um, Atlanta took their first and only lead of the game off the back of Drake London having a monster game. Algier ran it in and London got the two point. Um, made it 22-25, but the Bucks managed to finally muster up a good drive uh, and sealed it with Cade Otten. But yeah, this game was wild. It was Nobody seemed to want to win it, and that kind of sums up the NFC South, I think. It does indeed. I mean, the Bucks they're 6-7. The Falcons are 6-7. This division is anyone's to win or lose, regarding you know which way you look at it, uh, in the NFC South. There, um, we're going to move on now, gentlemen, and we come to the game between the Indianapolis Colts and the Cincinnati Bengals at Pecor Stadium, in front of sixty-five thousand nine hundred and eighty-one fans. And this game, um, I'm going to be honest, I was surprised because I didn't think that uh, Jake Browning and Jake I know you love your Jakes but I did not think that this game was going to go the way it did um, the Bengals came away with a 34-14 victory over the Colts um, Chase Brown opened the scoring with a 54-yard pass from Jake Browning uh, therefore we mentioned Jake Browning and Joe Mixon then uh, rushed for a touchdown from one to put the Bengals up 14 to nothing Mo Ali Cox got a cheer pass from Gardner Minshew uh, in the second uh, but the extra point was missed by Matt Gay took it to 14-6 Ronnie Harrison then had a 36-yard interception return and then Michael Pittman Jr. caught the two-yard conversion from Gardner Minshew tied it up at 14 at the end of um, the first half in the third quarter Tanner Hudson had an 11-yard pass from Jake Browning uh, even McPherson made the extra point and then Jake Browning had a one-yard rush this guy was on fire absolutely on fire putting the, the Bengals up 28 to 14 before McPherson finishes scoring with two field goals in the fourth quarter 34 to 14 to the Bengals um Jake Browning went 18 of 24 for 275 yards two touchdowns he did have an interception but he also um, rushed three times seven yards and a touchdown as well and on the other side Gardner Minshew 26 of 39 240 yards one touchdown one pick he was sacked three times in this game but the difference again and as we've seen this so many times the running game the Colts could get nothing done on the ground. Zach Moss was the leading rusher, 13 carries for 28 yards. Um, obviously, uh, Jonathan Taylor, he, he didn't, wasn't in this game at all. Um, on the other side, Joe Mixon went 21 for 79. Chase Brown threw in 8 for 25 himself. The Bengals, I think, are one of the surprise teams this year. Not, not so much like on the whole year because we thought with Joe Burrow they're going to be great. But when Burrow went down... I think we all said their season is over. Without Joe Burrow, the Bengals don't have any hope whatsoever. And yet, they move up to 7-6, and six, drops the Colts to 7-6. and six. As I said, the amount of 7-6 and six teams in the AFC is a list as long as your arm for the, the final two playoff spots, or three playoff spots. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and as I say, Jake Browning, hats off to the guy. He's played well. Now, I did mm. notice something that was mentioned in one of um, a, one of the other shows I was watching. I think it was the, the, the Rich Eisen show. And they said the thing that he has in common with uh, Dave's favourite player, Brock Purdy, is that, <laughs> is that 
he had a lot of collegiate experience. He played a lot in college. So it's not like he's one of those guys who's never played in college, uh, somehow gets a spot, you know, undrafted free agent in the NFL team and is thrust into the limelight. This guy played three, four years in college uh, starting. So fair play to Jake Browning. The Bengals move up to seven and six, as I said. It's it's all tied. It's all square. But they now get that tiebreaker over the Colts. So it comes down to it. So they actually leapfrog the Colts in the playoff hunt. Um, it was a great game. It really was by all measures. Uh, unless, of course, you're a Colts fan. They're certainly going to be missing uh, Jonathan Taylor. Um, hopefully he'll be... I, I'm not sure the extent of, of uh, Taylor being out. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. Um, but we, I think, gentlemen, are going to move on to our next game which is the New Orleans Saints at the Carolina Panthers um, at Caesar Superdome for the 70,009 fans. Jake McGee, you weren't one of those fans, but you are a Saints fan. I know you watched this game. Not sure how happy you were about it. But hey, why don't you tell us? Panthers, Saints. Yeah, I mean, a game that had 58 passing yards combined at half. A punt return for a field goal, a 29-yard field goal, impressively missed wide left. Not wide left, wide, wide left. Um, and just on that note, uh, field goals under 29 yards. Uh, Blake Groupie is 7 out of 9. Everybody else in the NFL, 165 out of 167. Um, and it really sickens me when you see Will Lutz and Thomas Morstead and all these former Saints special team is playing great and we're left with what we have um but the game itself um like i say first drive was going quite well um and then we had that awful missed field goal which honestly you need to watch and i need to understand physics because i don't know how he put it that far wide um pete werner to me it was an interception i went down as a fumble but basically forced the ball set us up with a very good field position you will notice a pattern here the saints had I think at one point 18 of their first 19 plays in Carolina's half the field position was insane um instead we punted from there 39 um why, why you know we can't kick a field goal um we don't have an offense so we just started punting from inside their own half um there's another three and outs again good field position this time Alvin Kamara rumbled it in for seven um the Panthers had a 12 uh, play drive that was great except they didn't complete a pass on it uh, they ran for 46 yards to manage a field goal but to to get a 12 play drive a scoring drive and not complete a pass is is impressive um there's another big play by the saints um defense and special team uh, the aforementioned punt uh was f again not classed as a punt block it was cast as a fumble uh, but it was scooped up for a touchdown that made it 14-3 um, to end the half, the Panthers had an eight-play drive to the New Orleans 46, but turned it over on downs with just a minute left, up 14-3. and three. Just don't do anything silly. Three plays later, we've gone back 10 yards, not via a penalty, just by sheer incompetence, and then through an interception. Um, so, you know, don't, don't do anything stupid, guys. You know, just <laughs> hell, hell, just kneel down. Uh, but no, we, we still find our way to... So to be impressive, uh, that is the key word to this game. Um, the second half somehow got the Panthers to jump off sides on the most obvious fourth and one fake ever. Um, didn't matter, we punted it away anyway. Uh, there was another long 12, uh, 12 play drive resulted in their second field goal, 14 to 6. 
that would be the last points for the Panthers. They missed a field goal from 41 after Bryce took a sack, moving them back that far. I mean, you should still be able to kick from 41, to be fair. Um, they turned it over on downs three more times. They went one for seven on fourth down. Maybe the most times I've seen someone go for it on fourth down. Patrick mentioned, and I think he's trying to cheer me up, the, the diving AT Perry catch, which was great, but a wide receiver should not have to dive that far to make a catch. Um, there was a big Jimmy Graham catch that led to Alave's touchdown, and then Jimmy G uh, got his touchdown of his own. Jimmy Graham, that is not Garoppolo. Um, and he did his fake spike, and that was about the kind of the, the peak of my excitement for that game because I'm just. We would be better off losing at this point. At the same time, if we had lost to this Panthers team, I would not have been on this podcast. But uh, yeah, if there's anything you guys want to add about this game, I would be impressed because it was it was a hard watch. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dave, right? So the yeah, judging by Jake's reaction here, you'd think the Saints had lost this by forty points. They won, they won about twenty-two. <laughs> They won about yeah, twenty-two but points. I think he wished they had. He does wish he had. Jake's talking about draft positions and stuff like that. When you're six and seven, when we're tied first for the, the division, <laughs> you could win the division, right? Um, the only, only thing and I then got, get absolutely th- humped by Dallas or Philly. Yeah, the only thing I have to add is that um, after thirteen games now, I think all of us have had enough of anyone who makes any excuses for Bryce Young. Man, mm-hmm. let's, let's just stop talking about this guy. He's garbage. Uh, Dave, did you have anything you wanted to mention about the, the Saints-Panthers? Uh, well, I, it's just a very brief question I would ask Jake. Um, so obviously with the starters um, that you saw on the Saints, are there any standout that you think, right, He's he's got to go? Because uh, you have some players that <coughs> are really well... Um, well thought of, well respected within the league, but there just doesn't seem to be, uh, like some of the star players just, I mean, obviously they're not getting that much help, but who would you lose, basically? With, Is there anyone that... With the caveat, with the exception of your quarterback, because we know how much you cannot yeah, yes, stand, Cass. Yes. <sighs> well, that's, that's not fun. Um, <laughs> honestly, the defensive line, Cam Jordan this year has, uh, I love Cam Jordan, but this year he's been non-existent, and obviously has a high cap number considering the, the productivity we're getting and Carl mm. Branson's been great. Um, we've been, we drafted Zach Bowne, uh, like an undersized linebacker years ago. He was great off the edge and then played him as an off the ball linebacker and he sucked. Uh, and then the last like three, four weeks we started rushing him more and he's been electric and it's like, Oh, this guy's good at rushing. We probably should do it more. Uh, I don't know why it took us three odd years to figure that one out. Um, but, but all of them, um, just burn it down. Just, just start afresh. I, I honestly, like I say, with the Lions game the other week, I thought, okay, twenty-one, nothing after six minutes. At least everyone will get fired now. Um, but I don't know what's going on in New Orleans. Like Mickey Loomis and and Gail Benson, they just seem to think we're winning games or we're challenging for games, and we've got the team spirit and everything's hunky dory. And don't worry, we're we've got the right people in the building. We have a. Eric McCoy, who's been a leader for the Saints offensive line, captain, and very not outspoken guy, absolutely losing it on the field, having to be restrained from his quarterback. That's how bad the team chemistry is. We have Mike Thomas 
removed off social media is because when he was injured, was just talking to Saints fans, basically being like, yeah, this team sucks. That quarterback sucks. And obviously yeah. someone from the Saints uh, PR tour was like, hey, Mike, maybe maybe don't be so honest. Um, so he's deleted his <laughs> social media. Don't be so media. honest. It, it, the, yeah. yeah, don't be so honest. Don't be, don't be you know, speaking the truth. Um, it, the whole thing's a dumpster fire. It needs to be burned down. Like I say, you compare... Derek Carr stats to Andy Dalton's last year, they're pretty much identical, except we're paying one $150 million. And it's the same for the entire NFC South. You can laugh and joke that the entire NFC South is a dumpster fire, but only one of those teams is paying a quarterback. So they're the laughing stock. They're the true losers. Um, a quick bonus random stat, um, which I heard on... Uh, once again, Barry McCockinet. I don't know if you... I don't know if you even signed up, Dave, on YouTube. Uh, you mentioned that... <laughs> The best quarterback game by the Carolina Panthers this year came from Andy Dalton. <laughs> I mean, that's bad. That's so bad. Anyway, that's the last thing I'm going to say about that team. Uh, I, I yeah. feel I feel bad for you, Jake, because the Saints are in a bad way, um, a really bad way at the moment. And the only reason that they are in with a short of the division title is because that entire division is so bad. And it's and we have the literal easiest schedule in the world. So I don't want hit. I, I, I people keep on saying on podcasts and stuff. Oh, the Saints are six and seven. What do their fans? You know, you won this week. Why are you said we have the easiest schedule in the entire world and a terrible division? We should be a twelve, thirteen, one team with the money we've spent, and we're going to be lucky to win eight. Yeah, it's a long way to go for the New Orleans Saints before, unfortunately, they are relevant again um, in the in the NFC to any actual degree. Uh, but we're going to move on, gentlemen, and we come to the Houston Texans and the New York Jets at MetLife Stadium <laughs> in front of <laughs> in front of seventy two thousand nine hundred and fifty six fans who probably could not believe what they saw, uh, Dave. This was your game. I I don't think anyone, anyone in the world, if you'd pulled a million people, saw this game coming. Dave, tell us about it. <laughs> Texans, Jets. I mean, some of them might have seen the first half coming um, because it was uh, a scoreless first half uh, with 11 combined punts um, between the two in that first half. And it was some of the most awful play on both sides of the ball I have ever witnessed um, but the second half was anything but boring for one of the teams because all of a sudden Zach Wilson turned into the second pick of the draft that, we, that the Jets hoped he was going to be because in this game Zach Wilson was 27 of 36 for 301 yards that is his third career game of 300 or more yards. And I think his number should be three because he was benched, he's been benched three times this season. Um, and despite rumors of him uh, being unwilling to come back in after being benched for the third time, uh, he later did deny uh, that that was the truth. However, let's get into uh, some of the scoring, uh, in obviously in the second half only because there it was nil nil at halftime. Um, Randall Cobb caught a fifty yard touchdown pass from Zach Wilson uh, to make it seven zero. Um, I think that was actually the first that that was actually the first play uh, first drive of the half. Um, before later on, uh, Xavier Gibson with a nine yard run to make it fourteen zip 
to the Jets, which again, a bit of a shocker, but with the very last play of the third quarter, Devin Singletree made a nice one-yard run uh, to make it 14-6. However, Matt Amendola summed up this game by missing the extra point. So that's, again, uh, a bad look for the kickers this week. Um, Into the fourth quarter, though, Brees Hall finished off a great drive from Zach Wilson uh, to make it 21-6 before on the very next drive. uh, Greg Zerline with a 51-yard field goal. Greg the leg, uh, we get 24-6. And then later on, on the very next drive, Greg Zerline with a 55-yard field goal uh, to make it 27 points to 6. And then just to rub a little bit of salt into the wound with one minute and eight seconds left in the fourth quarter, Greg Zerline from 44 yards, which I think was a bit of a kick on uh, below the belt for uh, Houston. Uh, but there wa- was some um, incidents, shall we say, that happened. CJ Stroud looked like Bryce Young in this game, uh, which, yeah, <laughs> you know, that that's, I don't think that's going to please the Texans or the Panthers. Um, but he left the game halfway through the fourth quarter after he was hit by Quinnen Williams, who was just a wrecking ball. He, he was so, so good in this game. Um, he fell back and his head looked like it kind of bounced off the turf. So obviously went into concussion protocol and did not come back. In comes Davis Mills and he does absolutely nothing. And the Jets were just amazing in on defense. And... Yeah, that that's a but that's the nicest thing I can say about uh, the Texans in, is that the Jets just make them made them look quite bad. Um, but you know, on to the second half. Obviously, the Jets finally broke through um, when Zach Wilson did find Randall Cobb, and then it was just some of the nicest, most beautiful quarterback play. And do you know what? Kudos to Zach Wilson because almost every single play he was under pressure, but he still found his mat, his men. He still found the, his route runners. He still found his, uh, all his players. He managed to go, make the right decisions at the right time, which we have never said about Zach Wilson. Let's be let's be completely honest. He was just he's just been absolutely terrible in his entire career uh, within the uh, well while his time has been in the NFL. Um, he didn't leave the pocket very well. He tried to extend plays, but when he did leave the pocket and go on a little run, he only did it three times. Only needed to do it three times. Uh, he was sacked, though, but I think uh, a uh, passer rate of 117.9 was very impressive for Zach Wilson. CJ Stroud, on the other hand, was 10 of 23 for 91 yards. That is not okay. Um, and uh, no touchdowns. The only good thing that did happen for him is that he was not picked off, uh, although he had a quarterback rating of 6.5 and a general passer rating of 54.8. So uh, make of that what you will. Texans just couldn't run the ball either. Um, they uh, Devin Singletary, 13 of 65. I mean... Jake's had a tough weekend. Uh, it was was my kind of headline on this one. Uh, but, you know, um, total yards for the Texans in this game was 135. And you know what? It wasn't just that the Texans were bad. The Jets' defense were amazing. I, I, they, they were just spectacular in almost every single play. Um, compared to the Jets, Jets didn't really run the ball or didn't, didn't have much success on the ground. But they didn't need to. When Zach Wilson is throwing like an elite Peyton Manning, where... Uh, Okay, maybe not quite that far, but you know what Steady I mean. You know, you, know, you, know what, you know the kind of uh, vibe I'm giving. Um, penalties, though, the Jets still need to clean up on uh, because uh, that was the only way that the Texans were uh, even potentially getting back into the game. But their clock management 
very impressive. Um, I mean, I probably missed a few incidents in the game, but I think I was more just shell-shocked because I didn't know what the Jets' score was when I went to watch this game back. And I was... uh, It went exactly as I expected in the first half. And then, like you said, not one person in the world was going to predict that. Not only would there be 36 points scored in the game, I think they would have said maybe a few a few less, mostly to the Texans, but it was all the Jets. That second half was just elite play from the Jets' defense, and Zach Wilson joined in on the fun as well. So Jets go to 5-8. and eight. Texans are one of the teams on 7-6, and six, but the Jets are 30, uh, are 30 to 6 winners, and yeah, something to celebrate in New York. Just incredible. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It is. It is ridiculous. The, the and Jets... it, it, it was also, Wilson didn't look like Wilson. That's what I mean you, when I'm saying about Peyton Manning. Obviously not quite Peyton Manning, but he looked like an elite quarterback, and we know he's not. The Jets are 5-8. It's, like, it's like Joe Flacco. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go that far. It is like Joe Flacco, and I'll tell you what, oh. the Jets have won five games. They've beaten the Bills, the Broncos, the, the Eagles, the Giants, and the Texans. They should be winless, and they're not. Yeah. Uh, now, speaking of Joe Flacco, oh my word. Jacksonville Jaguars, the Cleveland Browns, at Cleveland Browns Stadium, stupid name, front of 67,431 fans, and... To Patrick Jackson, let me just say, if you're listening, Patrick, and you, you probably are, um, I, I cursed your team again. <laughs> I'm sorry for it. I, I don't know why this keeps happening, but what can we see? The Cleveland Browns win this game 31-27 over the Jaguars. And the past couple of games by Joe Flacco for the Browns has been the best quarterback play they've had all season. He's been their fourth quarterback this year. Literally signed off the couch. And and he's their fourth quarterback and he's played better than the rest of them combined. Joe Flacco goes 26 and 45, 311 yards, three touchdowns, did have one interception. Um, on the other side of the ball, Trevor Lawrence, 28 to 50 for 257. Um, three touchdowns, but three interceptions. And these were bad interceptions that Trevor Lawrence was throwing. He clearly was a little bit banged up. He wasn't playing to his full potential. Um, and in fact, I think he um, took, a, took a heavy knock in this game uh, just before his uh, second interception in this one. But... David Njoku catches the 34-yard pass from Flacco to go 7-0 up. Um, and then in the second quarter, he catches the 30-yard pass from Flacco to go up 14-0. Um, Evan Ingram takes the 10-yard pass from Trevor Lawrence, 14-7. Kareem Hunt rushes for a 4-yard touchdown, 21-7 in the third quarter. For Travis Etienne, gets a 1-yard rush, barely getting across the goal line, 21-14. David Bell catches a 41-yard pass from Joe Flacco, uh, and then Parker Washington catches a 19-yard pass from Trevor Lawrence, 28-21. Dustin Hopkins bangs in a field goal from 55 yards out to make it 31-21 before Evan Ingram catches a two-yard pass from Trevor Lawrence. They failed the two-point conversion. That was with 133 to go in the game. Never got the ball back. 31-27 to Cleveland. And the Browns now move up to 8-5. and five. The Jaguars fall to 8-5. and five. And since... 
Flacco has come in. Because in the past two weeks, I've been saying it, if the Browns lose and the Broncos win, the Broncos leapfrog them in the wild card race. The Browns will plummet, Broncos will go straight up into seventh place, and they've won the past two weeks. What's going on with these Browns? I mm. don't understand it. Um, but, you know, they're, they're winning games that they really shouldn't be winning, and it's starting to annoy me. Uh, on, on the Russian side of the things, Excuse me, on the Russian side of things, Travis Etienne, 14 rushes, 35 yards. He did have that uh, aforementioned touchdown. Dearness Johnson went 3 for 12. Uh, on the side for the Browns, Jerome Ford, who's actually looked pretty good, 12 for 51. Uh, Kareem Hunt, says he, 10 for 27 and a touchdown. Jerome Ford's looking very good for the Browns. They're using him sparingly. Uh, because obviously they've got Kareem Hunt there. But between the two of them, since Nick Chubb has gone down, they've they've actually looked reasonably effective in the running game. They're causing problems for teams. And Joe Flacco is just playing out of his mind. Out of his mind. He, he played for the Broncos at some point, like the last year and a bit. I forget when it was, two, three years ago. And he was awful, terrible, garbage, comes in for the for the Browns, a divisional rival from mm-hmm. his Baltimore Ravens, and he's lighting it up over the past couple of weeks. This has got to stop uh, because it's just wrong on so many levels that, you know, cats and dogs living together, the, the world's going to fall apart. Joe Flacco playing well for the Cleveland Browns. I do not like it. So uh, we're going to move on because it's just absolutely <laughs> terrible. It's just, it's just terrible. I can't believe the Browns are winning and causing... If the Browns keep winning, then it really hurts the Broncos' chances of getting a, a wild card. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. You don't need a wild card. You're going to win the AFC West. <laughs> Maybe we are. Who's to know? Uh, but spoiler gentlemen, alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. In this show. Yeah. Maybe. Um, we are going to move on, gentlemen. And we come to the uh, Los Angeles Rams and the Baltimore Ravens at M&T Bank Stadium in front of 70,492 fans. So it wasn't really M&T. Do you see what I did there? I wish you I did. You, you like you, you saw it and you liked tough it. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. Very tough crowd. Um, Dave, of course, this was your team. Uh, this was one heck of a game from start to finish i know you've got a couple of things that you want to get off your chest regarding it so i'm going to stop talking please tell us the story rams ravens ladies and gentlemen of the winfl podcast listening base if you're walking or doing any kind of exercise while you're watching this game i want you to stop doing said exercise or walking i want you to find a seat of some kind i want you to sit down and listen to Dave. Buckle up, because this is not something I'm going to take very easy, shall we say. Okay, so a little bit of a... We'll go through the scoring summary of the game. Uh, Very first score came from the Rams, and Lucas Haversick, who scrapes in a 27-yard field goal uh, after a very very competent-looking drive uh, against a Ravens team that didn't start off very well whatsoever. However, just to end the first quarter, Isaiah Likely with uh, just a monster uh, 54-yard play uh, from Lamar Jackson and obviously Justin Tucker 
I mean, it's a standard uh, field goal kick at this point. We just expect Tucker to get it. Uh, before into the second quarter, Cooper Cup with a six-yard pass from Matthew Stafford to put the Rams 10-7 up. Lucas Havasik does kick it. Oh, oh, then, just to break my heart just a little bit, OBJ with a monster, unmarked, uncovered, 46-yard touchdown pass from Lamar Jackson. Ridiculous play. But anyway, we move on. Uh, then, uh, with five minutes to go in the second quarter, the LA Rams burst into the lead again to make it 17-14. Davis Allen, standing tight end, out of Clemson, with a seven-yard pass from Matthew Stafford, coming in for the injured Tyler Higby. And then, we score again. 145 left. Lucas Haversick, one of the worst starting kickers in the entire league, with a 51-yarder. On the other side of the ball, obviously, we have Justin Tucker. So he scores right before the end with about nine seconds left in the clock. 31-yarder, obviously. It's almost a given for Tucker. Rams go into the half, 20 points, 17 up. I'm on the edge of my seat. But I also know that no doctor in the land would clear me to watch the rest of this game. Because coming out into the second half, into the second half Justin Tucker with a 47-yard field goal to tie the game at 20 points each before one of the weirdest plays happen. Tyler Linderbaum fumbles the ball and it is then goes out at the back of the end zone because it had to be put out the back of the end zone or it would have been a touchdown to the Rams. Rams get a safety. I'm pretty sure that's their second safety in a row. Because they got a safety against the Brown. Rams lead 22 points to 20. Potential score gammies happening here. Into the fourth quarter. Justin Tucker puts the Ravens 23 points to 22 up with a 33-yard field goal. Before a fantastic throw and a fantastic catch from Demarcus Robinson. Five-yard pass. Went for a two-point conversion. Epically failed. We doesn't matter. We move on. We're five points up. However, with 1.16 left in the fourth quarter, Zay Flowers catches a 21-yard pass from Lamar Jackson and then for the two-point conversion. The Ravens then get it in. And Lamar Jackson again to Zay Flowers. Fantastic coverage. Fantastic pass protection. Easy two-point conversion. Ravens are three points up. With 1.16 to go, the Rams need to get it down the field. And we do, just not for the touchdown. Lucas Haversick kicks with seven seconds left for a 36-yard field goal. And as Patrick Jackson said, I don't think Dave can take this. You're absolutely right, I couldn't take it. I was pacing. I was pacing watching this, and then we go to overtime. Neither team scores on their first drive. I thought the Rams had a chance here. They could, they could do it. The Rams have to punt the ball as the Ravens got first... For the first try to score, first attempt to score, they didn't do it. Rams going for a drive, couldn't do it. So obviously the Rams have to punt the ball. Devin Duerney is the is the Ravens returner. However, he took a knock earlier in the game, so they have to go to their backup returner, Talon Wallace. Now, what happened on this play will live with me for a long time. Because when the Rams punted that ball, Wallace picked the ball up at the 24-yard line of the Ravens. 
He then half falls, nearly falls down after a missed tackle before a certain backup tight end for the Ravens comes in for a block on his college roommate. On his college roommate comes in <laughs> for Jake, a block. I love that. I love that's what he's focusing on the college roommate. Yep. Damn, yep. Absolutely right. Charlie Kohler. Yeah, Charlie Kohler on his college roommate at Iowa State on linebacker of the Rams, Jacob Hummel. A blatant illegal block in the back, meaning that Hummel cannot make the tackle. Wallace goes past him. No flags are called so far. A second one, which is more a shoulder barge, which mm, it's a shoulder barge close to the back. 50-50, it could have gone either way. It would have been a harsh flag, but if it didn't, if it, if it was flagged, it wouldn't have been kind of uh, argued about. If it wasn't flagged, it's not really it to be argued with. However, I wouldn't be so mad about it. But Tyron Wallace then went straight for the touchdown and a walk-off punt return for the touchdown. And, yeah, it broke my heart. So if there was any cardiologists that would like to write into the NFL, the WinFL show, I would like to hear from you. Because not only did this score, did this no-call break my heart, but the Rams pushed one of what is now, I would say, the Super Bowl favorites. They're right up there to get in the AFC. Well, they're right up there to be the AFC representatives in the Super Bowl. They are 10-3 and now, the Ravens. But the Ravens walk away with a 37-31 win, 31 win against the Rams. If it wasn't for referee calls this year, the Rams would be 8-5. Or they could be 8-5. They would definitely be 7-6. and six. But I think we have been robbed. And I think the script writers need to change it up a little bit. Their genres <laughs> are, are, are turning. They have turned. And they have turned from fantasy to horror. And that's that. I, I, don't, I, I don't even want to talk about the game. The headlines of this game, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. back against the Rams, comes back to haunt us. Uh, we fixed his leg. He fixed nothing for us. Um, and and uh, I, the, the refs hate LA this year. There you go. I, 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 any, any questions? I, I just love the fact that you associate Odell Beckham Jr. with the Rams. You know, he's only play, ever played one game in his entire career prior to this one, and that was in the Super Bowl. And then, you know, so he kind of he might have slightly hurt himself, or, you know, he might snap his own you know, ligament. It's like the fact that he played much longer with the Browns and the Giants than he did with the Rams, and you're like, oh, he's a Ram. He's a Ram for life. You're like, what? He played it's, one year. These were tryouts. in the Super Bowl. Yeah, like yeah, one good just... half in a Super Bowl, and all, that's it. That's it. Beckham jerseys for Dave. Anyway, anyway, couple of things. Um, don't worry, Dave. I'm not gonna not gonna have a go at your Rams here. Although, uh, oh, I will. Okay, so <laughs> there was Jake. Well, in a second, um, I know I know you're talking about the refs screwing you over. Okay, but if I said that about the Broncos, how many times they've screwed us over this year? Because I have done. We'd be um, what ten and one, eleven and one if it hadn't been for the refs. I could argue that point, but I'd be wrong. But I'd still argue it. Um, 
the missed tackle, so not punt return though. I get, the, I Some get, I get the back. block in yeah. the back. I get the, and it was the first one was horrendous. Should have been called, should have been flagged, but four missed tackles on the sidelines. It was just also, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it back and watching the punter just let him by. That that was, yeah, uh, it was, it was, yeah, it that was, was my favorite part. Jake, uh, yeah. what did you have to say about this one? Um, the, the Rams all season have been the last ranked special teams, so this should not be surprising. Um, they continually take delay of games and use timeouts in random parts of the game. Like their game management is absolutely abysmal. And Sean, it, it's a Sean McVay thing. It, it even said, I think one of the plays he got so excited that the play came in late. They ended up taking a delay of game. It's like get an offensive coordinator and get someone to bring the plays in because it's far too often you get to the fourth quarter and the Rams have like one timeout left because they've blown them already and then they take two, three delay of games each game. It's we weren't game even that bad. Yeah, we weren't even that bad with the timeouts in this game. We had we had a couple in of timeouts. Yeah, in this game. Yeah, I don't want to talk about <laughs> the other game, games. The other yeah. games didn't. Have, yeah, the other games did really happen. I mean, obviously, we had that one where we could have challenged uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, it, it was the play before the two minute warnings, and we had no timeouts left. Um, but the, there was, yeah, it was. It's just. It was so heartbreaking. Thirty-one points against the Ravens, and we still lose. Do, do, do you think it was like, the best call from from an announcer this week, though? Because Lamar Jackson had a, a classic Lamar Jackson, and he said he's playing like an ellipsis, dot after dot after dot. What? <laughs> Just, oh, wow. I, uh, I thought it was a very good call myself. That, that, that's brilliant. I thought I thought ellipsis was brackets. The th- no, it's the, the ellipsis is the three like the dot dot dot. Is that I all I yeah hence the dot after dot after every dot. day like like, is know, a school day. Once you explain day. the joke, it's not as funny because <laughs> every day is a school day. What am I thinking of? Oh, it's parentheses. Parentheses is the brackets. I'm see. I'm it turns out I'm an idiot. Who knew? Well, you guys <laughs> did obviously. Yeah, uh, well, but my favorite word for this one was onomatopoeia because as soon as I saw him running to, into the end zone, I went, and I think that was probably the best description <laughs> I could come out of it. That was brilliant. Fantastic. Uh, th- listen, I, I know your team lost, Dave, but this was a great game to watch from a neutral point of view. Probably, it was, uh, yeah. oh, start to finish. It was probably game, game of the week. But, uh, I, I would, I know, obviously, I'm uh, a bit uh, biased, but no, it was game it, of the week. It was, it was a great game of the week. Um, so we're going to move on to something that absolutely the, was not the game of the week. This wasn't the game of any week. It's, it, it wasn't even a game. Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> Las Vegas Raiders. Um, how do I put this? Allegiant Stadium, 62,626 poor souls sat through <laughs> this game. They did. Um, and I'm going to read to you now the drives. Are we ready, gentlemen? Because uh, no. <laughs> you need to, I hope you got a drink in hand for this one. Yeah, yes. see all the people that sat down in, uh, for the for my previous uh, review. Uh, please keep walking. Uh, yes, whatever you were doing for Dave's one, you can carry on just going about your day because this <laughs> there were twenty three drives in this game combined. Twenty three. I'm going to read them to you by team. The Raiders had twelve. The Vikings had eleven. The Raiders twelve drives. Here we go. Twelve plays, twenty seven yards. Punt. Seven plays, 17 yards, punt. Three plays, minus five yards, punt. Three plays, nine yards, punt. 
Six, please. 26 yards. End of the first half. <laughs> Five, please. 34 yards. Fumble. Six, please. 17 yards. Punt. Three, please. Six yards. Punt. Three, please. Four yards. Punt. Three, please. Six yards. Punt. One play. They got tired of punting. Interception. One play. <laughs> 29 yards. Fumble. That was the entire Raiders offense. Now we move on to the Vikings. Maybe they did a bit better. Three plays, negative three yards, punt. Seven plays, 11 yards, punt. 12 yards, 48 yards. Hey, change it up. Missed the field goal. Eight plays, 37 yards, punt. Six plays, three yards, punt. Eight plays, 22 yards, punt. Six plays, eight yards, punt. Three plays, four yards, punt. Four plays, 28 yards, punt. 13 plays. What has happened? 56 yards? Are you kidding me? Field goal. <laughs> three plays, six yards, punt. Three nothing. Vikings, Raiders. This was an absolutely disgusting game of football. It was so bad. This game was so bad that Joshua Dobbs got pulled for Nick Mullins after going 10 for 23, 63 yards, five sacks. A rating of 50.8. Ethan O'Connell on the other side, 21-32, 171 yards, no touchdowns, one pick, four sacks, a rating of 66. This game isn't even worth mentioning. The Vikings go win 3-0. They moved it up to 7-6. The Raiders fall to 5-8. We're going to move on, unless you gentlemen have anything you want to add. <laughs> Uh, I, no, I, I, no, Jake, do you have anything? Nothing, nothing, nothing really. Nothing, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, just, just that Dobbs got uh, benched in that one. Well, that, um, that, was, that, was, that was the biggest story in this entire game, is that Joshua Dobbs yeah. got benched. Because nothing else happened. It was appalling. It was disgusting. I honestly thought it was going to be nil-nil. I honestly, I thought this, this game's going to be nothing-nothing. Uh, overtime, nothing-nothing. I don't know. Would that be a Scorigami? Has it ever been uh, an NFL uh, game? That's gone. I, no, I, no. I think there might be. I, I did. I think I had uh, uh, what I, I had a random stat not that long ago, which was that was, uh, that was three about nothing the game. The, the, yeah, that was the a Dolphins Steelers, the Mud Bowl. Uh, yeah, but I, I, this one didn't even deserve to be three nothing. It was absolutely pathetic. It was just, uh, just disgusting, disgusting. It really was. So we're going to move on, gentlemen, and we can move on to. Uh, hey, what by by all. Uh, by all measurements, was a very entertaining game. Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, G-E-H-A Field at Arrowhead Stadium. They've got to change that. They've got to change mm -hmm. that. Get rid of the G-E-H-A Field and just call it Arrowhead Stadium. 73,639 fans watched this one, as well as one guy living in the Outer Hebrides, Jake McGee. I'm sure you weren't the only one watching it, but you definitely watched this game. Tell us about it. Bills and Chiefs. Yeah, game seemingly overshadowed by the officials making the right call. Mm. Um, the Chiefs had a promising opening drive ended by AJ Epinos uh, tipping a ball and then catching it for interception. Uh, it came to nothing. Uh, the next KC drive ended with a sack. And this time, Buffalo capitalized with a lovely catch and run from James Cook. Uh, both quarterbacks traded almost interceptions, uh, but it was again Buffalo profiting. Um, some weird and wacky plays, including a wild fourth down and then Josh Allen being forced against his will into the end zone, basically. Uh, it was 14 to nothing. 
Buffalo. Uh, Casey had a third and 18 prayer caught by Kelsey. Completely wasted because Tony, back to his usual trip, uh, tricks dropping the ball and there was a mix-up with MBS. Um, they did, however, pin Buffalo deep and that came in very useful because a huge interception from Sherfield meant with three minutes to go to keep it getting from out of hand. Um, McKinnon scored and the second half started with a 10-play, six-minute drive for a field goal. Um, that was by Buffalo to kind of extend the lead, but this was answered very quickly with a Rasheed Rice touchdown. Uh, Rice, hero to zero, then had a fumble. Um, again, the Bills kind of failed to capitalize on this. They went three and out. Uh, there was a nice return from Richie James, setting up Casey very well. They tied the game early in the fourth. Um, there was a lovely throw from Allen that Murray fumbled, but out of bounds, thankfully. Um, but two penalties and a sack later, they went from midfield back to the home 19. I think it ended up like fourth and 38. Yeah. It was a, a sight to see. Um, in the end, a 39-yard field goal with a minute 54 left was the last point scored. But on the Chiefs' final drive, Tony lined up in the defensive backfield, which negated a great play by Kelsey, who caught a deep ball and then lateraled it to Tony uh, for what was supposedly the game-winning play but correctly called back because the guy was so far offside the officials couldn't see the ball. Um, and then Patrick Mahomes finally um, soured people on the Chiefs by at the end of the game when the coaches and the players go up and shake the hands and you're congratulating, you know, stay healthy, you know, see you in the playoffs. No, he was like, worst call ever. Didn't even like congratulate or, or thank Joe Allen. Just chose that moment on national TV to be a little girl. Princess loser. Uh, there's the, the, in my notes, there was a different I'd, word. I'd, but, like, uh, I'd like to point out to those listening: this bit was not edited, and Jake literally did pause before seeing the word "girl." I, I didn't, had to censor myself. That. Yeah, I had to censor myself because my notes say a very different word. But to me, uh, one call was fine. I, I, the Chiefs are complaining as if they've not been gifted wins uh, in the last few years. Uh, but because they've had last week, they had a bad call. This week, they feel like they had a bad call. The the world's against us, and woe is me. And uh, just there's a time of place. Even Kelsey um, went over. I think it might have been with Josh Allen or someone else. And and he said, you know, oh, great game, blah blah blah. Like, and he was, and someone said to Kelsey, oh, great play. And he said, yeah, great play. That doesn't count. But then he was like, you know, stay healthy, look after yourself, you know, no matter. Like, he chose to take the high road and still be a better person. But Holmes took that moment to make it about him. Uh, do you know what I loved about that was the fact that now I listen. I have the utmost respect for Patrick Mahomes as a player, and that's the first time I've ever seen him lose his cool. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when when you know when the Chiefs got robbed against the Patriots in the AFC Championship game because of some really horrendous calls, Mahomes didn't lose his cool, not at all. Correct. Then didn't say a thing. The, you know, the, the t- awful roughing the passer on Tom Brady. Mahomes never mentioned it. Neither did Andy Reid. And Andy Reid mentioned this in the in the post-game as well. I've I've never seen Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes both be so up in arms, despite said, the fact that it was, it was a an correct embarrassment call. to the NFL. An embarrassment to the NFL. Well, I think that's because it's, the, the, the standard is that the receivers will always look to the, the, the line judge and look down at them and the line judge will tell them, you, you, 
you need to move back. You'll see this all the time. They'll always look up and they're like, move back. I said, move back or they move forward. You're not on the line. It's going to move forward. So they, they essentially, the refs are helping them line up properly. But the thing that got me was that once again, never mind the fact that Tony was offside, the offensive line was a rainbow shape with both tackles were two yards behind the line of scrimmage. And you think this is this is constant. It's ridiculous. Um, but <laughs> do you know who I've got? I don't have the stats, from? but there was there, there was a, some kind of stat of the off, off, offensive offside was called like three times, like ever, um, up until like three, four years ago. And then it came a point of emphasis and it's been called like 14 times since. Yeah. Um, so it is something that they are looking at oh, and it is something that gets called definitely. out more. Definitely. So, and, and in the ref's report, he said normally we would give them a heads up, but he was so offside that we couldn't see the ball. He was that offside. See, there like you, it's, it, you know, if you're if you're slightly offside, it's like, hey mate, you're slightly offside. Watch out. When you're that far offside, it's like, well, you're an idiot. Like you have like, your own eyes. I mean, he was he was a half yard ahead of the ball. I mean, I, I, he was an idiot for doing that. I've, on the play, what a heads up play by Travis Kelsey. Decent throw as well. Good lateral. Great, great touchdown. Didn't count. So wipe it off. But do you know who I've got more respect for? Josh Allen. Because when Patrick Mahomes mm. went up to him, and we could hear him saying, that's the worst effing call I've ever seen in my career, blah, blah. And Josh Allen's just going, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Inside his head, Josh Allen is going, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. It was a correct call. What are you on, Patrick? It was brilliant. My team won because your guy was offside. So, but he didn't say that. But you know he was thinking it. He was like, "Yeah, okay, fair enough. Good, good for you." You see, what I, what I want to emphasize: one, we spoke very early on about the tackle thing. You know, about about them being so week, far week, back. Week one or two, week I one. think it was. It was week one. Yeah, I think week it was one, week yeah. one. That we, yeah, but, uh, and then it was kind of emphasized a lot more because that was the headline from the week one game. But one thing that did kind of, you know, get um, pointed out was that it's on the player to make sure he's on site. He's not literally halfway. It, 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 like, you could put, put the ball at his back foot almost. You know, it was almost closer. It, like, it, it was, he, he could be stepping over the ball. That, that was his kind of stance. It was, that, that's just ridiculous and um, completely negligent from Kadarius Tony, and he, he, no doubt about it, that play cost him the game. But um, I, I do want to give a shout out to Josh Allen, not just for his conduct after the game, but during the game, some of the plays that he was making. I mean, it, his quarterback rating looks horrible uh, from the box score, but he he played very well because some of the throws and plays he made were very very good and vital uh, in the Bills winning this game. So shout out Josh Allen. Yeah, uh, the box score doesn't always tell the, the full story, as no. we know. Um, so there we are, gentlemen. We are going to move on, and we come to the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers at Levi Stadium in front of 71,816 fans. Dave Somerville, this was your game. What did you make of it? Well, first of all, thank you very much, Jake McGee, for giving me this game. Uh, it, you know, Obviously, to... Uh, to watch this game after the Rams game. Uh, oh, sorry, delightful. sorry, hang on, listen. It could have been worse. You could have had to watch the Vikings Raiders, okay? So just I'd, I'd reel it, it, reel over, it in. Over reel it in. I'd take it almost over this. But we'll go for a, we'll go for a full score by score summary. 
Um, and we'll, we'll not overemphasize certain players playing well or not playing well. Um, so first quarter, I mean, I mean, you, you the the intent from the 49ers was there from the get go. Uh, it took them less than a minute um, before they scored the first touchdown. Jordan Mason with a three yard run. However, that entire drive was. Uh, it was just basically capped off. It was only the second play of the entire game because Christian McCaffrey uh, to the left side for a 72-yard run. Uh, so if if you ever questioned the intent of the 49ers going into this game, I think that those questions were emphatically shut down uh, after one play uh, before uh, it was uh, Mason who got the touchdown. Um for three yards, obviously the hard work done by McCaffrey in play one, and then it um, we we thought we were in for a great game because on the other side of the ball, the Seahawks marched down. Uh, DK Metcalf getting a thirty-one yard pass from Drew Locke, who was in for the injured Geno Smith. Um, unfortunately, that was the only positive thing that DK was able to do in the game. We'll I'll come to that in a minute. Um, to round out the first quarter, though, Jason Myers with a 40-yard field goal to put the Seahawks 10-7 up going into the second quarter uh, before then things really start happening. Uh, the, there was only one score in the second quarter, though, but it was a, a semi-decent play. Uh, Brock Purdy with a massive pass to Debo Samuel, uh, who just ran the Seahawks ragged in this game. Um uh, it was a 54-yard completion. Jake Moody kicks for the extra point. 14-10 going into the half. Coming into the second half, though, Debo, Debo Samuel with a one-yard run after just you know competent play from the 49ers all the way down the field. Uh, but one one fifty-eight left in the third quarter, but when that happens, Seahawks give themselves a chance. Drew Locke with a 25-yard pass to Kobe Parkinson. Went for the two-point conversion to make it 18-21. Failed. Pretty much like the Seahawks' entire franchise history. Anyway, moving quite swiftly on. Uh, fourth quarter, there was only one scoring play, but again, the big plays all came from for- the 49ers and some contribution from Brock, Brock Purdy. Um, George Kato, 44-yard pass from, from Brock Purdy, and it was yeah, it, it was just uh, not pleasant viewing uh, for myself, shall we say. But... Um, yeah, I mean, Drew Locke came into this game and he showed that he can be a good quarterback and against a very tough San Francisco 49er defense and arguably one of the best. He did have two picks, unfortunately, uh, to go along with his two touchdowns. Uh, he was picked off by J.R. Brown and also Frank Warner um, had a pick as well. Now, that play, uh, which was... Yeah, should we should we say it led to some controversy later on uh, with um, DK Metcalf obviously getting involved in that because DK had uh, he started off the game extremely well, however he ended it not on the field because he was ejected from the game uh, because uh, Fred Warner and DK Metcalf um, they exchanged a few hits and things like that before Metcalf just lost his temper completely, grabbing Fred Warner's face mask and, I don't know, he kind of yoinked it into next week, basically. Um, but also the 49ers quarterback, uh, quarterback, you know, he he did not get involved in this. I, in some ways, I kind of wish he did. But the Niners cornerback, uh, Lenoir, 
uh, got involved and he shoved Metcalf quite hard and both players were ejected from the game. Uh, Metcalf said after the game, if you want to call it frustration, yeah, it was frustration. Uh, from my side, he hit me in the back of the head and I just retaliated. I mean, he barely tapped him. It is And, you know, how many times do we have to say this about DK Metcalf? For such a good player, he has a really bad temperament. Uh, but, you know, focusing on the actual gameplay itself, Drew Locke throwing for two touchdown passes. It was his first first start since the end of the 2021 season. Um, but he, he just, he couldn't quite keep up with the 49ers. Purdy was 19-27 for 368 yards. Uh, two touchdowns. He did have one pick, though, that kind of put a slight damper on the day. But, I mean, the 49ers put up 28 points. And with their defense, it's always going to be extremely difficult to come back from that. It was Julian Love who got the interception uh, from Purdy. Um, I, I, let me try to think of any more positives to say, uh, reluctant positives, I should say. Um, well, there was a, a slight... Um, it, elite entry into a pretty good club. Uh, Purdy became the fourth player to complete at least 70% of his passes in seven straight games. Um, and the record holder for that, of course, is another 49ers quarterback. Joe Montana holds the record with eight in 1989 uh, for San Francisco 49ers. But uh, the game was pretty much overshadowed by that incident with Fred Warner and DK Metcalf, unfortunately. Um, because, it, it, I mean... They, they, it was a decent game. The thing is, though, the Seahawks came into the game with a plan of throwing the ball, whereas I think with Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet, they're much better running the ball. They they just they didn't really give it a chance, and every anytime they did run, the 49ers shut them down too quickly because it was almost scripted runs, I'm afraid to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, DK didn't contribute much apart from his one touchdown. Christian McCaffrey, on the other hand, 16 carries for 145 yards on the ground. He only caught one through the air for eight yards, but he didn't need to do anything because his massive run at the start for 72 yards set the benchmark for the entire game. Uh, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel both put up over 100 yards each. Um, yeah, it was just, a, it was the 49ers show, I'm afraid, uh, for Seattle. Seattle are 6-7 and seven, um, and behind the Rams in the head-to-head. However... Both teams are struggling, and you know, obviously we said earlier the amount of teams that are seven and six in the AFC, it's the opposite in the NFC because the amount of teams on six and seven and around about are all within contention for the last two, one or two spots. That's a game summary. I don't want to talk about either team anymore. It's a pain in my backside. So over to you guys. I can't believe you, as a as podcast that loves special teams, oh. miss the the San Francisco. Um, 49ers punt a run in 30 yards it wasn't a scripted uh, run he just saw there was a massive gap run for 30 yards it got called back for holding the worst penalty I've ever seen if a punter runs 30 yards scripted you should just you know that's a freebie you get that one so you're saying they but should they, just uh, let yeah. the holding go yeah because, hold, the, because <laughs> the if DK Metcalf punches on that play it's like but it was a good run um, it's just surprised that DK actually got ejected for once, and it wasn't for his usual like German suplex. That seems to be his like him and Greenlaw are like actual wrestlers. I'm the most surprising thing is it wasn't him and Greenlaw going out at you know American yeah. wrestling. Or we could or we could have a WrestleMania main event with uh, Gronk and DK Metcalf fighting fighting off for the WWE title. That would be a, well. I never uh, thought I would support Gronk in anything, but I definitely support him in that one. <laughs> I, I can't stand DK Metcalf all year. Yeah. All year, this guy's been throwing his dummy out of the pram. 
it's just it's let, let, he's letting the Seahawks down, which yeah, I'm pretty much all for. But it's bad for the game as well to see players reacting like that and conducting themselves like that. So, I mean, you're, you, we're we're you, we're kind of used to it at this point, and I'm afraid it's quite sad to say say that in general. So, gentlemen, we're going to move on, and we come to the. Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium in front of 70,240 fans who watched the Denver Broncos win this one by a score of 24-7. to um, They move up to 7-6. Chargers fall to 5-8. and eight. The big story in this game is, of course, Justin Herbert, um, I believe, fracturing the index finger on his throwing hand. He's out for the year. In comes a gentleman by the name of Easton Stick, um, which I, I, I'm sorry, but we've <laughs> we've spoken before about players' names and how you know if you've got a good name, then that'll help you in your NFL career. But Easton Stick just isn't. I'm sorry, it's not a good name. Easton is fine. Stick is not a good second name. He needs to change his name and he might have a career in the NFL. Um, he basically had no chance in this one. No chance whatsoever. The Broncos were throwing everything at the Chargers quarterbacks. Um, they were all getting in on the action. with sacks by Alex Singleton, Joseph Jewell, B.J. Locke, Justin Simmons, Jaquan McMillan and Zach Allen all had sacks in this game. It was just... It was coming from everywhere and they had no chance. Uh, as far as scoring goes, Javonte Williams scored his first rushing touchdown since 2021, which is just bizarre to me that that's the case, but it was. Three-yard rush to open the scoring. Well, let's bang in a 23-yard field goal to make it 10 to nothing. And then it's almost a weekly occurrence. Cortland Sutton catches a 46-yard pass from Russell Wilson whilst being interfered with, with one hand. It was an incredible... It's like, it's like a weekly highlight with Cortland Sutton. Um, this guy needs to make the Pro Bowl. Ten touchdowns this year. And it's a fact that because Sutton doesn't get anywhere near the targets that some of uh, the other uh, premier receivers in the AFC, in the NFL get nowhere near he's got like less than half the catches of guys like you know tidy kill or you know jamar chase and all these guys massive amounts of targets and yeah Corden son's got 10 touchdowns he's second in the nfl in touchdown receptions it's absolutely ridiculous um but the, it's it, the defense has to say the broncos defense just cleaned up in this game the Chargers got nothing done. Their, their touchdown was scored uh, when the Broncos were already 17-0 up. Austin Eckler had a three-yard touchdown run. Uh, and then Adam Troutman caught a 10-yard pass from Russell Wilson with 3-11 to go after a beautiful play call by Sean Payton. It was absolutely stunning. And the other big story, because, as I say, the main big story is, of course, the Herbert injury. He's done for the year. The Chargers season is effectively over. Uh, Brandon Staley has got to be fired. Jake, you've been calling this for I don't know how many weeks now. It might have been even since week one. It might have even been since the last year that Brandon Staley is just not a good coach and should be fired. This On this game, it, the decisions were just baffling. And uh, as, as a supporter of the opposing team, I, I mean, I didn't understand it. I was like, why is he 
calling this. On, on the Broncos' first play from scrimmage, Russell Wilson throws a pass to Marvin Mims that ends, actually ends up being intercepted. And the Chargers get a free drive starting inside the Broncos' 10-yard line. They get it to fourth and goal from, I think, the four, uh, and they go for it, and they come away with nothing. Now, I can sort of understand that because it's, it's a free drive. But it's not like your offense has been putting up 30 points a game. So, mm. your points are a premium. Take the three points. Later on, they get a fourth down on the Broncos' 25-yard line. Fourth and four. They go for it. They fail. You've literally left six points out there. They go for fourth down again and fail. They go for fourth down again and fail. And they get they want one, of, one of five, one of six on fourth down in this game. The, the, the Chargers were. And it was just a one of six on fourth down. They kept going for it, but they went for it um, at least two times, if not three times, when they were in field goal range. And at this point, you know, they were, they were down, you know, it was nothing, nothing when they failed the first one. They were down seven, nothing when they failed the next one. They were down 10 to nothing when they failed the third one. Um, and then calling, he called timeouts at times where you're thinking, why are you calling? You're helping your opponent. When the Broncos were trying to drive down um, at, towards the end of the half, and the Palestine is calling a time. Oh, thanks. Sean Payton must have been scratching his head going, thanks for that, because now I don't need to call a timeout. No idea what you're doing. Jake, do you have anything else to add about Brandon Staley and his utter, utter incompetence at the head coaching level? Yeah, that's at the time I think it must be an LA thing, but they, they went one of 18 on third and fourth down combined. Um, Brandon Staley, like I say, I've been been on it for a while. I just don't, I don't know how he still has a job at this point. Uh, the more confusing thing to me is um, the offense coordinator, Callum Moore. He is not having a great year, but I'm seeing he's getting possible interviews for the Carolina job. And I think you look at the difference. They he was the Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator. You look at the difference this year for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Dak Prescott is going from leading the league in interceptions to now leading the league in and, touchdowns. And look at the difference in, in Los Angeles, the Chargers. And then look at the difference mm. in Los Angeles in the Chargers. And like the entire, it's not just Brandon Staley. Um, the entire coaching staff just seems to be a complete mess. Um, and again, the longer you leave it, the worse it gets. And I don't know, maybe Brandon Staley will have a, a Gus Bradley, a Dennis Allen kind of r- renaissance as a, or, you know, um, what's his face? I, the, the the name has gone straight on my mind. Falcons head coach went to the Cowboys. That, oh, that Arthur was Smith. Look. No, Dan. Oh, the... it wasn't Dan Quinn, was it? Dan Quinn. There Dan you go. Quinn. Yeah, That's what I'm, yeah. He could have. Yeah, yeah he, he could have one of those kind of like renaissance. You know, focus on just being a defensive mind, which he supposedly is. Although I'm not seeing it. Um, he, he could be, you know, the next Gus Bradley, Dennis Allen, where he's a great defensive coordinator for five, six years, and, and maybe he does end up getting another shot down the line, but he should not be a head coach. No, he shouldn't. Uh, now, you're talking about him being a de- defensive mind. I believe Dennis Allen, um, uh, not Dennis Allen, so I say, so I got that name in my head, Brandon Steely, I beg your pardon, Brandon oh. Steely. Uh, sorry, I'm just saying. <laughs> bring, uh, yeah, point, uh, bring bring it to the forefront. No, I'm just saying. Jake. Uh, Brandon Staley, uh, he was a coordinator with the Broncos for a while, and he wasn't a very good one. I I don't know why he got the job as the head coach of the chart. I don't know why he got that job, because he wasn't a great coordinator. Um, and it's easy to say, um, oh, well, you know, I'm a defensive-minded coach when you've got guys like Derwin James, 
Good <laughs> guys like Kelly and Mack. Uh, you know, these are these are superstar players. We've Joey we've Bosa. said that. Sorry, said to say that again. Joey Bosa. Uh, Joey, Joey Bosa. Yeah, you, when you've got superstars on your team, it's easy to look good. Real easy to look good when you've got great players. And we've been saying it all year the Chargers are stacked with talent right across the board. Um, and another thing we've been saying all year. Justin Herbert, um, his career has been wasted. Absolutely wasted. Uh, now, I'm, I, I love Keenan Allen. He's, he's a great player. He's one of the most consistent players over the past, uh, however long he's been in the league, nine, nine years, is it? Eight years he's been in the oh, league. Probably more. Maybe more. One of the most consistent players uh, at his position. He, in this game, he was basically just taken out of the game by Pat Sertan. He just... He had nothing to offer. He got a couple of catches. Um, but, he, you know, he's, he's got a case of the dropsies. And mm-hmm. I didn't think, if the Chargers would miss anyone, I didn't have Mike Williams penned as the guy that they would miss so much. Because this offense has looked stagnant since Mike Williams hasn't been in it. It's absolutely horrendous. Dave, you got something you want to add to this? Um. I mean, one of the most evident parts of the incompetence on play calling at the Chargers was, I think it was the play that Justin Herbert got injured on. Now, if I remember, it was fourth and two, I think, that they went for it. Now, was that not, it was a kind of long, deep throw that they threw on that fourth down. Yeah. And it was in, it was incomplete. Um I mean, I you know, I, I I obviously I like the aggression. It's good to watch from a neutral stand, but I mean, play sensible at the it's, same time. It's the opposite, I'm, I'm, and I'm sure we've covered this before. And you know, I apologise to our listeners if you've heard me say this over and over and over again. If it's third and one, fourth and one, stop throwing forty-yard bombs. Right. And when second it's, and one is fine. Yeah. Second and one, yeah, go for it. Knock yourself out. Yeah, absolutely. If if it's third and ten, stop throwing two yard slants. It's it's the complete opposite. I don't know why this happens. I see it in almost every single game. It grinds my gears probably more than any other play calling is when you've got a third and seven, and you attempt a two yard pass, or or you've got a third and one. And you attempt a 40-yard pass. And you're thinking, why don't you go for the two-yard pass when it's third and one? What, why do they call these ridiculous plays when I've never seen it work? I've never I ever seen it. happened in, the, in so, the Patriots game as well. The, the, the Steelers fourth and two right at the end of the game and they threw a goal route like 40 yards. And you just, like you say, yeah. you're thinking, what, what are we doing? You know, if ever there was a time for a three-yard slant, it's on, on fourth and one. Just like, do you not know how this game works? These guys get paid millions of dollars to call these plays. It's four. How how long do we need? One yard. One yard. One yard. Let's 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 uh, run a forty-yard post. Let's go for that into double coverage. Why? 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 Why don't you take the the play that you must? They must have plays in their playbook that is saying. Uh, well, the reason we don't run this is because we're only guaranteed to get two yards out of it. Then run it on fourth and one. You know, it's like, if this play works 90% of the time, you only get two yards, run it on fourth and one. Don't run it on third and 15. 
How many times have we seen this where, where you've got teams and, and, and hey, listen, I'm getting flashbacks here to Pat Sean Mardis. That's what I'm getting, flashbacks <laughs> to, it's third and 10. We throw a one-yard slant. Why? Or we throw an eight-yard pass on third and 10. Or it's third and 15. Throw a 12-yard goal. Throw a 15-yard route. You need 15 yards. It's just beyond me. The only team, the only team that benefits of throwing one yard short of the sticks is the Philadelphia Eagles because of their fourth down play on 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 one yard play that they have. The unstoppable brother Ishov. That's the only team uh-huh. this benefits. I I cannot. So I'm sorry, guys. You know I didn't want to go off on a tangent. I know we're running out of time. I'm trying to make this as fast as possible. But it kills me inside when opponents do this. I mean, you know, never mind when my team does this, but when I'm watching just like a game that I'm just reviewing and just watching the game and I see these play calls and you're thinking, how do you not know how to call a play? Seriously. I mean, Dave, you're not an offensive coordinator, but if I told you it's a fourth and one, we need one yard. Why would you draw up a play that's designed to bomb for fifty, or would you take the mm. safe three yards? No, I better go home. And <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I get that. Well, like as, as Dave said, though, and see on second and one, mm-hmm. go Absolutely. for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you, I've got get a play action. Exactly. No get issues. Play action. Running a flea flicker on second and one and launching it down the field. No issues with that whatsoever. It's second and one. You've still got third and one and possibly fourth and one if you want. It's second and one. Go for it. Absolutely. Just launch it. The other one that gets me is like, see when quarterbacks know they've got a free play and they don't take advantage of it. That kills me. You see a guy jump offside. You see the flag immediately when the ball is snapped. And then he throws up five-yard check down. <laughs> Go for it. Attempt the longest throw of your life in this one. If it pays off, you get a huge gain or a touchdown. You might even get a pass interference down the field. I'm not going to talk about pass interference. I'm sick of that call. Uh, anyway, yeah, we, we should move we're on. Talking I, about things that I, I've got, I was seeing as we're getting things off our chest. Go that what's annoyed me this year, and I've noticed it this year more than most, is fourth and one or third and one running out of shotgun. So they're starting like four or five yards back. It's like, why are you, why are you making it hard of yourself? Oh, mm-hmm. you see, especially now with the Philadelphia Eagles and these, you know, Brotherly shoves, love, yeah. talk, you know, yeah. all these weird... And play, like some of them are starting like, oh, we've got Derrick Henry, so we're going to give him an eight-yard like build-up of speed. It's like, oh, just get the one yard. Yeah. Like, why are we making it harder on ourselves? That was the Nathaniel Hackett effect in Denver. That's what that was last year, running the ball Everything was out shotgun. of the shotgun. Like, stop running from the shotgun when you need one yard because they've got to cover 10 yards to get that one yard running draw plays from the shot you're like come on they've got eight men in the box why are you running a draw play from the shot oh it riles me up i'm okay guys i'm all right i'm all right we should move on because otherwise we'll never move on um, we come to the aforementioned Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys at AT&T Stadium in front of 93,752 fans. Dave Somerville, this was your game. The battle of the big boys in the NFC East. Dallas, Philadelphia, tell us all about it. 
Well, the ten and two Eagles and the nine and three Cowboys hitting it off. We got obviously the, literally two of the three biggest teams in the NFC uh, facing it off in what was billed as one of the games of the week, and it was going to be in Jerrytown. And you know what? I did say I thought the Cowboys were going to make it in Jerry World, and they did indeed. The Cowboys run out, not just a close game. But a pretty emphatic 33 points to 13 game. And the majority of it was in the first half because there was only one drive, by the one that ended the half, that did not result in a, in a score. And it was actually the first drive of the Eagles because that was a fumble. So uh, we'll go through the scoring plays just very briefly before we go into some of the details. C.D. Lamb, a 13-yard touchdown pass from Dak Prescott five minutes into the first quarter uh, before one of the most impressive kickers to come out of the draft for, since probably Tucker, in my humble opinion. Uh, Brandon Aubrey with a 60-yard field goal uh, with 50 seconds to go. Uh, to make it 10-0, what it would be like to have a kicker like that, I don't think I will ever know again. Uh, into the second quarter, though, Jake Elliott with a 52-yard field goal to bring it back to a one-score game to make it 10-3 before Dallas took over a little bit with a 17-3 uh, uh, lead with uh, Rico Dowdle with a one-yard touchdown run. Uh, and Obviously, Brandon Aubrey with a kick make it 17-3. Uh, Jake Elliott with a field goal for the Eagles to give them a little bit of hope back to just a two-score deficit. Was that two? No, no, let's uh, take that back. Just an 11-point deficit. Uh, 17 points to six before. Uh, there was only 148 left. But, of course, the Cowboys, they, they're, they're on fire this year, and they proved that. So it took them one minute, 28, to march down the other side of the field. Michael Gallopin with a one-yard touchdown pass from Dak Prescott, who was very, very impressive in this game. Um, that drive, I, I mean, it was, there, there was maybe one or two very key uh, plays in it, but um, there was a big penalty as well on uh, Ringo for defense pass interference. Um and also, there was also a face mask on it as well. as a double penalty play. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that kind of ended the half. Um, Dak Prescott uh, did pass to Brandon Cooks for a big play uh, on that drive as well into the second half. So it was 24 points to six at the half. Uh, Eagles, well, you would think that they came out firing, but not really again. But the defense turned up. So uh, the Cowboys, they, I, I would say that they were cruising basically at 24 points to 6. Um, but Dak Prescott lost control of the ball. While he was being sacked by Fletcher Cox, which is not, I, I would imagine, not a pleasant experience. But Jalen Carter, one of the most anticip highly anticipated defensive tackles come out of the draft since maybe one future Hall of Famer. Uh, came out of the draft. Uh, he picked up the loose ball and ran for a 42-yard fumble recovery to get the Eagles back to 24-13. But that's all the Eagles were able to do on offense. And it wasn't even on offense, it was on defense. Uh, so they, they just did not have a good game. Uh, Brandon Aubrey kicked for a 59-yard field goal to make it 27 points to 13. And then into the fourth quarter, Cowboys kind of not really leaving second gear, but they managed to get the ball down each time because they had two further field goals 
Brandon Aubrey, 45 yards with 9.40 left in the fourth quarter. And then just to rub salt in the wound, because you're always going to, especially against a divisional rival, 30 points to 13. Brandon Aubrey with a 50-yard field goal to sum up a fantastic day. Uh, well, four from four and all from 45 yards or more. Um, a few, just a few uh, kind of pointers from the game. Dallas Prescott threw for two touchdowns. Um, Brandon Aubrey made four field goals to start his career for a record 30 for 30. Fantastic. And the Cowboys pulled in the division with their 15th uh, 15th consecutive home victory, 33-13 uh, with the final score there. But the Eagles lost three fumbles in the game. That is not okay. They didn't score an offensive touchdown. Uh, Jalen Hurts, yeah, he was responsible for the first fumble. Uh, first time he's lost consecutive games, up to October 2021. Uh, and a little bit of an early random stat as well. Brandon Aubrey becomes the first kicker with two field goals of at least 59 yards in the same game. He connected from 60 yards late in the first quarter, 59 yards in the third, allowed Aubrey to surpass Greg Zerline, Greg the Leg, and Harrison Butker, who each had a pair from at least 58 yards. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but the 28-year-old rookie added two in the fourth quarter to extend his NFL records to 30 from 30 and the previous record for that was 18 in a row so fantastic for him also big shout out to Jake Ferguson uh, who he's a second he's um, he's got consecutive games of at least five catches and at least 70 yards so well done to him but the Eagles are very much in a downswing now Cowboys in an upswing they're 10 and 3 both teams and the Cowboys lead the head to head I think uh, but yeah the Cowboys are going into it uh, going into the playoffs as one of the favourites in the NFC. So, Jerry's happy. Nick Sirianni and Philadelphia not so happy. Um, just before uh, we move on, uh, Jake and Dave, I just wanted to mention, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, um, because I don't think it's ever been mentioned before, but Brandon Aubrey used to play football or soccer. I in don't the MLS, know, yeah. I don't know if the commentators mentioned this, other than <laughs> every single time he came onto the field. Every time uh, this year he's come on, they mention it. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but he did actually play football, soccer. Um, but yeah, huge run for the Cowboys. Jake, did you have anything to add? I mean, this game was full of kind of bonus random stats. I mean, Dallas has mm. won six straight home games over the Philadelphia Eagles dating back to 2017. Um, I really, I think I joked about it last week, but if, Dallas do get the number one seed. We are in big trouble of all the Dallas jokes kind of coming to an end because, like I say, if they can um, somehow get the number one seed off 49ers and hold off the Eagles, then, you've, you know, the playoffs run through, or the NFC playoffs run through Dallas. Watch out. Maybe they'll make an NFC championship game for the first time since 1994, was it, I think? The last time they made an NFC Championship game, mm. or ninety-five, yeah, could be. This could be the year Dallas finally does. I know Tim would be delighted if that was the case. Uh, so, gentlemen, we're going to move on. We come to the Green Bay Packers and the New York Giants. We're into Monday night now. There was a Monday night double header. Uh, this one was at MetLife Stadium in front of seventy-six thousand six hundred and thirty-seven fans. And oh my word, I don't think any of them saw this one coming. Jake, did you see it coming? Tell us about it. Packers. Giants. 
Nobody saw it coming. I mean, it's. I'll I'll start this off by saying Lamar Jackson is nineteen and one against the NFC. The Patriots were eighteen and one in two thousand and seven, two thousand eight, and Matt Lafleur was sixteen and zero. He's now sixteen and one in December. And what do they all have in common? The New York Football Giants. Um, there was a slow start to the game, uh, three punts, but a penalty left good field position for the Giants, who missed a field goal from 48. Um, the game got a little bit funky after this, with teams trading touchdowns and then a flurry of turnovers. Uh, it's Jalen Reed for the Packers and Saquon Barkley for New York. Um, a fumble from Love wasn't punished, with the Giants failing to convert fourth and one at midfield. But just two plays later, Love gave it back to the Giants, uh, this time with a, an underthrown, ugly interception. Uh, there was a late field goal, though, from Packers. It was 10-7 at half, and Kinkin, it's not a vintage half on Green Bay, but they're getting the job done. They should beat this Giants team. Well, second half, um, strange start. There was a three and out by the Giants, but a muffed punt by the Packers by Nixon gave the ball back, and Barkley rushed in for touchdown number two. The Packers then punt, and it was the Giants' turn to kind of mess up a punt. Uh, weird one that kind of bounced off the back of a player who had nothing, no idea where the ball was. Um, gave the, the Packers great field position. It was it was a very strange game. Uh, they ended up settling for a 32-yard field goal. It's 14 to 13. That was then the, the best drive of the day by by Tommy DeVito. Uh, 10 plays, 75 yards. Uh, ended with a touchdown grab by Isaiah Hodgins. The Packers then missed a field goal from 45, but made one from 48. And a Barkley fumble gifted the Packers a chance. Uh, and it kind of felt like, at that point, and it was very similar in the next Monday night game, it kind of felt like that, that was it. The game's over. They kind of gifted the game to the Packers. And it won't be a, a, a classic win, but they'll win the game. Um, and with 1 minute 33 left, Malik Heath scored. Uh, they failed the two-point. Um, their mistake... They gave too much time to Tommy DeVito, and he marched the Giants down for a game-winning 37-yard field goal. That's three straight for uh, New York, and three straight from Tommy DeVito. And I would like to say an apology to Tommy DeVito, because when he started a few weeks ago, I said, this guy can't play. And I said, this guy's terrible, doesn't belong in the NFL, uh, and he's proven me wrong. This is, and I keep, I keep having to make apologies this year. I've apologized, apologized to uh, Vance Joseph, and I've apologized to Tommy DeVito. Um, you know, this is going to keep happening. Uh, one thing I want to say to you, Jake, j- just very quickly. Um, what would, what was it you said about the streaks that the Giants had broken? What was it? Uh, the Lamar Jackson is nineteen and one against the NFC. The only team he's lost to is the Giants. Yes. The Patriots were undefeated. The only team they lost to was the Giants. Yes. And as I mentioned last week, Matt LaFleur is 16-0 in December. But he isn't anymore. Because of the Giants. Um, in, 1990, of the Giants. in 1998, the Denver Broncos, I think, went 13-0 uh, on their way to the Super Bowl. They were just uh, destroying teams left, right and centre until they met the Giants. In a game they should have won by 40 points and they ended up losing. The Giants are one of those teams who just always pop up. Let's go, hey... Did you forget we're here? We're going to beat you. You've got streak going? <laughs> no, no one. You've heard of giant killers before? They, these guys are giant killers. 
They, they, you know, they're killers and they'll kill you a streak. And they're the Giants. It's, it's utterly bizarre. Utterly bizarre. The Giants, they're actually in contention for the playoffs. They are? They are. However, I want, they are on a three-game win streak. Now, obviously, the teams that they beat, maybe not the highest caliber, they beat the Commanders, but they did put up 31 points against them. They beat the Patriots, the less said about that game, the better. Uh, and they've now beaten the Packers. Um, however, they, I, I'm not saying this in any way, shape, or form. They've got a good chance next week because they do play the Saints. <laughs> um, after that, though, the run <laughs> gets a little bit uh, tougher. They play the Eagles home and away uh, with the Rams sandwiched in the middle. So they're outside contenders. But at the same time, look, Tommy DeVito, uh, fantastic. Uh, he's he's, 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 he's been throw, incredible the last three games. Well, when he threw the ball, he, he it was really good. It was good, good, competent decisions. We're back to competent again, the word that I keep repeating every week, but he's showing it. And, yeah, well done to him, sadly. It's the NFC Player of the Week, or Offensive Player of the Week. I mean, right, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't be, but... <laughs> It does, but who amongst us, very quickly, before we move on to the final game, who amongst us, if we were the Giants GM, would not be taking Tommy DeVito over Daniel Jones? Oh, again, again, it comes down to a contract. Like, I would take, I was saying to earlier with the Saints, I would take Andy Dalton over Derek Carr with that, you know, in terms of contracts. Yeah. What, there's no way you're going to go, you know, you're happy paying Daniel Jones to give you even slightly better than Tommy DeVito can because Tommy DeVito, you're paying him like peanuts. Yeah. I, even if his uh, agent does look like a like 1980s mafioso. Oh, it's it's absolutely... <laughs> he, he looks wonderful. I saw the shot the side, <laughs> In his pinstripe. So this pinstripe suit and I was like, oh, that's good. I mean, you could not write up the cliche any better than that. Absolutely amazing! I love it. It's wonderful. Do you know what I? As I said, I I mocked Tommy DeVito. I did. I called him Danny DeVito, and that wasn't fair. I was just being horrible to the man, and he's proved me wrong. He has proved me wrong. So fair play to you, Tommy DeVito. If you're listening, I don't know if you are, because you know now you're playing well. Daniel um, Jones is probably listening. Daniel, Daniel Jones is probably listening. <laughs> he's probably listening. He's yeah, terrified, curled up in a ball in the darkness. Ooh, well, maybe that's a thing in New York. Maybe but that can be a thing. But here's the thing. We've been seeing Daniel Jones stink since he came into the league. It's, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, he really... Daniel Jones has never, not once, have a, in, in a game I've watched of the Giants, has proven me wrong in thinking that he's garbage. Because that's all you need to do. I mean, if I, I'm there, you call Jordan Love. I said Jordan Love was rubbish. And then the past couple of weeks, he's looked pretty good. So I was like, oh, well, you know, he does. He didn't look good in this game. No. But but the last couple of games, I thought Jordan Love's actually improved. Sort of weak. He had that one game in week one. It looked great. And then it just all fell apart. He looked terrible. Um, I think someone actually called me out on it on Twitter as well, saying, you know, you're having a hard time with Jordan Love here. But then this week, you know, he, he didn't do anything. And so... I, I don't know what you want to make of that. Um, but we do have one final game. One final game to cover, gentlemen. And it was the other Monday night game. Two on Monday night. Tennessee Titans at the Miami Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium in front of 66,068 fans. J. 
Jake McGee. I'm going to ask you very quickly. I'm going to cover the game very quickly. But do you think that this game exemplifies just how valuable Tidy Kill might be to the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, I had the exact same thought. I watched that game and I thought, if anything, this game helps Tyreek Hill's MVP like shout. Yeah, it does. Oh my word. Um, I'll go through the scoring very quickly. <clears throat> it actually opened with a, an interception uh, by Zach Sealard, a five-yard interception, returned to put the Dolphins up seven to nothing uh, midway through the first. In the second quarter, Derek Henry had a one-yard uh, rushing touchdown, 7-7. Nick Folk then kicked the 28-yard field goal to make it 10-7 to Tennessee before Jason Sanders replied, 10-10. And then Folk and Sanders exchanged field goals again. It was 13-13 to in the fourth quarter before Raheem Mostert had two um, rushing touchdowns, one of three yards, one of five yards, to put the Dolphins up 27-13 with fourth with a 240 to go in the game. Without this, you know, this this is this is over. This game's absolutely over. A 14-point deficit before DeAndre Hopkins caught a three-yard pass from Will Levis and then Nick Westbrook. Ikini, I think is that correct? Ikini, I think yep. it is. Um, uh, caught a two-point conversion from Will Levis to make it twenty-seven twenty-one, and then with one forty-nine to go, Derek Henry scored in a three-yard rush. Nick Folk kicks the extra point. Tennessee win this game twenty-eight twenty-seven. Um, a, a bit of a shock because I think most folk just assume Miami were going to win, not because Miami are, are you know beating huge teams, because as we've said. It's a case of who have you beaten. But the fact that Tennessee in previous weeks have really looked bad offensively. They put up 28 points here. They held a Miami offense to 20 points. As I say, the first touchdown was an interception return. But if it hadn't been for Tyree Kill in this game, they would have been lucky if that offense put up 14 points. He went out injured in this game. Uh, I think it was late in the first quarter that he went out injured in this game. And they did nothing, absolutely nothing, from the second quarter right up to the fourth until Tidy Kill came in and made a couple of huge catches in this game to get them um, into to scoring scoring range. He actually finished the game uh, with four catches for sixty one yards. But they were like splitting the first quarter and the fourth quarter because he had, I think it's an ankle injury. Tidy Kill has in this uh, had in this game. I'm not sure the extent of that or if he's going to miss any time, but oh my word, with him not on the field, this Dolphins offense looked anemic and it really, really bolstered Tidy Kill's case for MVP. We all know he's not going to get it. We know he's not going to get it because he's a wide receiver. But if anyone deserves that title particularly in the AFC because you know you look at the NFC and people talk about guys like Christian McCaffrey and I get it I get it over in San Francisco uh, but he's not going to but tidy kill oh my word without him this Dolphins offense looks terrible Dave throw it over to you quickly the Titans won this game bit of a shock they move up the Titans to to five and eight they dropped mm. the, the big story is that the Dolphins dropped to nine and four. The Buffalo Bills absolutely love this. They're one game away from winning this division because they play the Dolphins at the end of the year. They do. And I know they've got a tough schedule. I think they've got Dallas to, to, to play the Bills and that, but the Dolphins, 
if I think honestly, if Tiny Kill is out, the Dolphins could be in real trouble. What do you think? Extreme trouble. Um, one of the things I picked up from the game is that when Tyreek Hill did go down, um, they were kind of using Braxton Berrios uh, or trying to use him in the same way. Uh, you know, uh, obviously with Tyreek, what Tyreek does, there's a lot of motion before the play, uh, it, and Tua uses him to to look for the coverage. Basically, I think that's a pretty important point of the entire uh, Dolphins' offense. But you, I, I, I get the impression that the linebackers, the defensive backs, they were looking at Braxton Bears like, well, that's a poor man's Tyree Kill right there. And just kind of looking at like, well, so what, what are you going to do? We're, we're going to hide it better because we're not as scared of Braxton Bears as we are Tyree Kill. Um, yeah, their Dolphins offense is relying on Tyree Kill. Um, if he goes down, if he comes out for a few plays, they just don't look the same. Um, the other team are usually recovering from whatever big play he's just made. Uh, you know, so then in comes the run game. It's speed, it's great blocking, but it's more great blocking because the other team are still a little bit shell shocked from whatever Tyreek Hill's been able to pull off in the last play. So this is where I think the Dolphins really should be worried now. And they, <coughs> excuse me, they also threw away a two a two score lead uh, at, at in the fourth quarter, which was just you know. Look, at the end of the game, with about, what, two, three minutes left, take nothing away from Will Levis because he had to lead his team all the way down, uh, all the way down the pitch, uh, the field twice. Um, and he did it really, really well. I'm I'm quite big on Will, Will Levis, uh, in, especially instead of what the alternative is in Tannehill. But, yeah, I, I, you know, it's 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 kind of, well... Do you want to keep going with Will Levis? Yes, absolutely. I think he he is the uh, Titans quarterback of the next couple of years for sure. Uh, he just needs to be get a bit more uh, protection, I think. But they thought he was finally able to link up with DeAndre Hopkins in this game because I think thought, I thought that was a really good connection. But uh, yeah, I think the pandemonium from the Titans really uh, at the at the end of the game was really something to behold. So um, yeah, the Dolphins. I I mean we were we were tipping them as potential top two seeded uh, in the AFC, and now you're just kind of thinking if there's something wrong with Tyreek, mm, I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. Yeah, I mean Jake, um, the Dolphins were I mean they were in, they were in cruise control at the top of this division. The Bills were stuttering all over the place. The Dolphins had you know no reason why they shouldn't win this division with a couple of games to spare. And it almost seemed like a suit. It really, really did. As soon as Tidy Kill was injured, it was like, oh, hang on. What what, what do we do now? And props panic to. Panic stations. Uh, yeah, panic stations. And props to Will yeah. Levis because he really played well. Jake, what do you think of, of Levis? And, and of course, the, the well, Tidy Kill situation. Well, the Tyreek Hill situation, I was 11.64 points ahead of my fantasy league opponent in the playoffs, and he had Tyreek Hill to play. So I, for one, was extremely eternally grateful that I'm mm -hmm. still somehow in the NFL playoffs. Um, I have something to admit with this game. Uh, I had the, the Giants-Packers game. There was two games on Monday. I woke up Tuesday morning. I thought, I'll stick on this, this game first, Miami-Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, have a quick, I'll watch the game at 40 and then I'll go in depth with the Packers. Um, there was um, the muffed punt by, by Tennessee. The Dolphins scored. Then they had the fumble. Then the Miami scored. It was 27-13. I turned the game off. I've still not seen the end of this game. I've seen the score and I've seen what happened. 
But I turned the game off. I was like, well, this game's over with. I can now move on to the game I'm covering. And then it was only later on the ESPN box score, and I saw like Derek Henry leads uh, touchdown one over the Miami. I was like, what? Like, was I having a fever dream this? Like, mm-hmm. did I did I watch the wrong game? Like the wrong? Week? I I couldn't believe what I saw. I, there was like three minutes left. Titans had just thrown away the game not once but twice, and Miami capitalized both times. I was like, this game's over with. Um, how wrong was I? It, well, it, and I don't blame you for that because it's not like. You know, Cassie and mine. Well, you you won't remember this, guys, but I can. Cast my mind back to the nineteen ninety two wild card between the Buffalo Bills and the Oilers when the Oilers were up thirty five to three in the second half, and like fifty American, fifty million Americans turned off their televisions because this game is. This was not that. It was a fourteen point game, but because it was the Dolphins, everyone just assumed this game is over. That, you know, and the Titans, you know, offensively, they've not been great. You know, this game is completely over. It's been terrible. Yeah, terrible. And you're like, hang on a second. They won? How did they win this game? Uh, I, I did watch this entire game, and I was just as shocked as you, Jake, by watching it happen, as you were to find out after the fact. It was, it was a bizarre game, but, you know, fair play to the Titans. Um, and as I say, nobody, nobody is happier than the Buffalo Bills that this game happened because they are right back in the mix for that AFC East title. So gentlemen, we are going to move on. That's the end of our week 14 um, review. So we're going to come to our week 14 win FL awards. And we start with offensive player of the week, Jake McGee, who is your offensive player of the week? Uh, I struggled for a little bit. Uh, but I settled on Drake London. I mentioned him in the review of the Falcons. Bucks, he went 10 for 172, uh, almost exactly 50% of their entire receiving yards. That's a lot. <laughs> That's mm. a lot. Um, I've gone for someone I never, ever thought I would see this. I've gone for Bailey Zappi. <laughs> Bailey Zappi went 19-28 for 240 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Uh, That was almost entirely in the first half, by the way. I think he stopped playing in the second half. Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm going for Bailey Zappi. Fair play. Totally. I was shocked at how well he played. So I've gone for Bailey Zappi as my Offensive Player of the Week for New England. Dave? I've also gone for someone I never thought I'd say. I've gone for Zach Wilson. 27 or 36 301 yards oh yeah welcome back zach wilson i mean he was never really there but you know welcome to the league maybe zach wilson is a better kind of summary but i mean i was torn between uh zach wilson and dak because dak dak was just very uh very controlling in that game he was very very good but zach wilson standout game one of the standout games of career so zach wilson for me I'm going to give a wee um, our honorary shout-out to Jake Browning there because he's a Jake Yeah, that one. Um, oh, yeah, defensive, that <laughs> defensive Player of the Week, Jake McGee, who have you? Uh, I was caught between two, uh, Ivan Pace, uh, Jr., and I think it was, and then I've ended up going for Martin Emerson, Jr., for his two-interception display against the Jaguars. Yes, I've gone for Harold Landry of Tennessee from that Monday night game. Uh, four solo tackles, one assist, three sacks of two. Uh, basically just ended their final drive there. So I've gone for Harold Landry of Tennessee. Three sacks, huge game for him. Dave? 
I've actually gone for a double header with the offense and defense. So I'm giving it to Quinn and Williams, uh, you know, who who just led that Jets line, uh, and especially in the second half, just the epic defensive play and. Yeah, I was really impressed. Obviously, I watched quite a lot of this game, so I say I watched quite a lot. I watched the whole game, uh, which I might have fast-forwarded for half of it. But anyway, uh, Quinn Williams, yeah, 100%. Very good performance this week. Uh, we then come to our uh, really badly titled defensive slash special teams unit of the mm-hmm. week because we keep picking players uh, on the set of units. Um, Jake McGee, who do you have? Uh, this one I did not struggle with. I gave it to Brandon Aubrey. Uh, as Dave's mentioned, 4 of 4, 60, 59, 50, 45, um, 30 for 30 on the season, 3 for 3 on his extra points, uh, outscored the Eagles by himself. And I don't know if, uh, how much you watched or if you watched all the game, um, because it doesn't really show in the game of 40, but the actual game, every single kickoff he had pretty much hit the crossbar or went way through the end zone. They were completely unreturnable. Uh, yeah, I've gone for the same guy, Brandon Aubrey. Uh, his, his field goals were one thing, but he hit the crossbar twice and then put, like, twice in a row, I think it was, and then put his next one through the uprights from his own 35-yard line. So, yeah, I've got Brandon Aubrey. He was absolutely spectacular. I was tempted, I'll be honest, I was very tempted to give it to the entire Denver Broncos defense for their performance. But I thought that's just going to be biased because, uh, as I say, uh, Justin Herbert was knocked out of the game. Uh, Dave, who do you have? Uh, we've got a clean sweep, but both of you have have actually said every single note I had uh, for this section that I was going to say about the double doink uh, from kickoffs, um, and of course his his new record as well um, from fifty nine yards and sixty yards in one game. So Brandon Aubrey, hundred percent, thirty of thirty. What a way to start your career! Absolutely, and I don't know if anyone's aware of this, but he did play football or soccer. That's not been mentioned before. Did he? Uh, so he did, yeah. So, gentlemen, we're going to move on, and we come to our Week 15 Rapid Fire Preview, and we start with a Thursday night game between uh, between Easton Stick and Aidan O'Connell. Los Angeles Chargers, Las Vegas Raiders. I've got the Raiders winning this one 10-6. to 6. Yeah, I've got the Raiders winning seventeen to fourteen. I think you're really optimistic with that scoreline. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean uh, the the score I've got is a little bit less optimistic than Jake. I've gone for a Raiders win, but I've got seventeen points to thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> then with the Atlanta Falcons at the Carolina Panthers. Um, I've got the Panthers winning this one at home. A very low scoring affair again. Those sixteen to. 15 with Young Ho Koo hitting five field goals for the Falcons. I've got the Falcons winning 17 to 10. Oh, I, I, I've, I've got, I think there's going to be a few more uh, points in this. I think it's more going to be um, who's trying to lose it more is going to lose it. Um, but I, I've got the Falcons winning by 24 points to 22. Then of the New York Giants at the New Orleans Saints. I'm sorry, Jake. I'm taking the Giants. I'm taking Tommy DeVito. Who cares? Uh, I've got them winning this one by 23 to 19. It would probably be better if we lost. Um, So for that reason, uh, I've got the Saints winning 22 to 20. Do you know what? I I do have the Saints winning as well. Um, But can I point out that 
we do, we don't share these scores um, before we actually come on. Nope. Uh, so, uh, so when I've got uh, twenty two points to twenty one, oh, uh, so and seventeen yeah, to thirteen. Yeah, uh, that this is this is quite emphatic. But yeah, the Saints didn't win it by a point. We then have the New York Jets at the Miami Dolphins, uh, and I've got the Dolphins winning this one in a scraper in overtime, sixteen to thirteen. <laughs> I don't know the ins and outs of Tyreek Hill. I've gone with the information that he's okay, so I've gone thirty to nineteen Dolphins. Yeah, I've got the Dolphins winning this one. I, I don't think Zach Wilson is going to have a repeat uh, week this week. Uh, so I've got the Dolphins winning 27 points to 16. We then have the Buccaneers travelling to Green Bay to take on the Packers. Um, I've got faith in this Buccaneers defence, actually, and I think they are going to hold the Packers, and the Bucs will win this one actually fairly comfortably, 20 to 10. Um, because it's at Lambeau, I've picked the Packers 17 to 14. We're very, very close again. Uh, I've, I've got, I've gone for uh, seventeen points to the Packers, but I've gone eighteen points to the Bucks, and I will take no further questions on how I got to that score. Six field goals, go for it. Uh, we then have the <laughs> Chicago Bears at the Cleveland Browns, and I've got no idea, absolutely no idea when I was picking this game. I changed my score like three separate times when I was picking the Bears and the Browns, but I've. Got the Bears winning it. Finally, 19 to 17. You're betting against Joe Elite Flacco. I am. In Cleveland Couldn't as well. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. With that defense and an elite quarterback, 23 20 Browns. Ooh, well, I, I, I hummed and hawed about it. So I'm going for an overtime spectacular. I think it's going to be 24 24 going into overtime. But the Bears are going to come away with a field goal. 27 points to 24. We then have the Minnesota Vikings at the Cincinnati Bengals, and Jake Browning is going to take them to the cleaners. To the cleaners, I tell you. 27 to 13 Bengals over the Vikings. Jake Browning against Nick Mullins, the game we all wanted to see. 21 <laughs> 20 to the Bengals. Oh, well, yeah, it's going to be a clean sweep for the Bengals. Uh, I, I think you've both got a lot more faith in the Vikings than I do. Uh, so I'm going to say it's going to be 31 points to 13. We then have the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Indianapolis Colts. I reckon the MVP has a bit of a renaissance, but it's not going to be enough. The Indianapolis Colts are going to win this one 27 to 24. Um, after my sad departure from the nvp train yeah. uh, i have the colts winning 20 to 16 i have faith in mike tomlin and i'm going to pick the steelers to come away with another one point win but it's going to be 20 points 19 for the steelers we then have the kansas city chiefs at the new england patriots uh, i've got the chiefs winning but i've got this very close i think bill belichick is going to call up a defensive mastermind uh, and this one is actually going to be 16 14 to the chiefs uh, the patriots defense has been absolutely great as of late shame about that their offense most of the time uh, i do have the chiefs getting right uh, with a 27 to 12 victory 
kind of thinking along the same lines, Jake. I, I've got the Chiefs here, but I, I think the Patriots' offense is not going to do well against a Chiefs defense who are keeping the Chiefs in the game. I'm going for a 24 points to 3 win. Oh. Then it's Houston Texans at the Tennessee Titans. I'm taking the Titans at home. I think the Texans lose two in a row in an overtime 19 to 16 win for Tennessee. Surely my, my Texans don't keep letting me down as well. <laughs> uh, they win 23-20, right? Mm, I don't think they do, Jake. I'm, I'm no. picking Will Levis as well. Uh, I'm For once, I'm, I'm signing Munoz and not going for your Texans. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think the Titans are going to come away 31-27 winners. We then have the Denver Broncos at the Detroit Lions. And you know I'm taking my Broncos because I always do. And Ewan is going to hate me because I'm taking them winning big. Because I think Jared Goff continues to turn the ball over. And if there's one thing the Broncos have done over the past seven weeks is cause more turnovers than any other team in the NFL by a mile, it will continue. And even the great Aiden Hutchinson is not going to be able to stop the Broncos as they put 40 on the Lions. 40 to 17 oh my word what am i doing well i've i've shown a bit of faith to the nfc and i have the lions scraping a win at home 28 to 24 this was the other game that i was really struggling with but i'm taking the lions i'm taking the lions very very closely 21 points to 20 love it we then have the Washington Commanders at the Los Angeles Rams. Dave, I'm taking your Rams. I'm taking the Rams it. in this one. They're going to get it done. The, the refs are going to do right by them. But it's still going to be a close game. It's going to be 26-21 to the Rams. This scoreline doesn't look right, but I put it down, so I'll commit to it. The Rams, 19-13. to 13. <laughs> Wow. It won't be a surprise that we do have a clean sweep. But I'm going 29 points to 20. And Lucas Haversick to miss two two extra points. <laughs> then the San Francisco 49ers at the Arizona Cardinals. No problem for the Niners. Who's going to clean up in this one. 38 to 13 to San Francisco. I've got 28 to 13. Obviously 49ers. Yeah. I I think they're just going to stutter a little bit. They'll come away with the win. But just... 20 points to 17. Then have the Dallas Cowboys at the Buffalo Bills. And the only reason I am taking the Bills is because it's in Buffalo. They won an arrowhead. They can win at home. The Cowboys are a different team when away from Jerry World. It's going to be a close one. Bills, 28-26. This should be an absolute classic. I have high hopes this game. But how about them Cowboys? 2825. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, we're, we're all in the same ballpark. But I'm picking the Cowboys. Very close. 30 points to 27. Late field goal. Then have the Ravens at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Don't worry, Patrick. I'm not going to curse your team again because I'm taking the Ravens to win this one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be a close one. It's a very close one with the Ravens winning this one. 31 29. 
Well, this is my one and only overtime game, and I've got the Ravens sneaking it 27-24. Oh, well, obviously, you know, with our faith to Patrick, I was going to go for the Jags, but then I came to my senses. Uh, the Ravens are going to win this game. The Jaguars just are not even at the moment. Uh, I'm picking them to win 24 points to 17. And we the Ravens, round- sorry, yeah. Okay. Yes, that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, yeah. And we round up with the Philadelphia Eagles at the Seattle Seahawks. I think Philadelphia get back to winning ways, although it's going to be another close game. Got them winning this one by a score of 26 23. Yeah, I do think it's going to be very close. I've been quite high on the Seahawks, especially their defense being at home as well. Uh, but I do have the Eagles just squeaking it 21 to 18. Ooh. I, well, I, I also have the Eagles winning uh, because I love to see the Seahawks lose. Uh, last week, I, I couldn't have cared less who won or lost, but uh, this week the Eagles are going to get it done. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a close game, though. I think it's going, they're going to win 24 points to 20. And that, gentlemen, wraps up our Week 15 Rapid Fire Preview. Woo! Woo, indeed. So uh, just before we go on to our final segment, uh, I'm just going to to read out, guys, what we're looking at with four games to go in the playoff standings. These are the current seedings in the AFC. We've got Baltimore in first place. Miami are behind them. Kansas City, Jacksonville, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis. That's your seven seeds. Uh, now, the records are 10-3 and three for the Ravens, 9-4 and four for the Dolphins, Eight and five, Chiefs, Jags, and Browns. And then at seven and six, as I mentioned, the Steelers and the Colts, which is six and seven, you've then got the Texans, Broncos, Bengals, and Bills, all at seven and six. And everything basically rests on what the Jaguars and the Browns do, because if either of those lose, they will be leapfrogged by other teams. Um, but as we know, the Ravens had number one spot there, but the, the, the seven and six Bills, who are currently... 11th, one win and a Dolphins loss and then it all comes down to the final week because if the Bills win out and it comes to the final week and they beat the Dolphins, they will leapfrog them right into the playoffs. Over in the NFC, 49ers are the number one seed, Cowboys at the second seed, both at 10 and 3. Um, the Lions and the Bucks are the third and fourth seed. The Bucks are 6 and 7. Lions are 9 and 4. The Eagles move down to the fifth seed 10 and 3 all because of that loss to Dallas uh, and of course the loss to San Francisco uh, Vikings at 6 with a 7 and 6 record, Packers at 7 with a 6 and 7 record and then you've got the Rams Seahawks, Falcons and Saints all at 6 and 7 and the Giants and Bears at 5 and 8 none of these teams are out even the Commanders at 4 and 9 are not out of the playoff race um, it's all going the, over in the AFC actually I should have mentioned Chargers, Raiders, Jets and Titans are all 5 and 8 they can all still make the playoffs <laughs> the only team who is essentially out of it the New England Patriots over in the NFC Cardinals and Panthers are essentially out of it as well uh, but gentlemen we are going to move on to our final segment and it is of course Random Stats Random Stats Random Stats Stats, Jake McGee, would you like to kick us off for random stats this week? Yeah, I had one and I thought you were going to bring it up, so I, I got a backup one just in case. 
Um, but the one that I originally had is that the, the Browns are just the 13th team since 1950 to have four different quarterbacks start multiple games in a season. Kevin Stefanski has now won a game with all four of them. Um, so the Browns remain atop of the AFC wildcard race, 8-5, and five, as you've just mentioned. Um, but serious, seriously impressive to, to not have that many quarterbacks but also win with each individual one, um, just showing it is kind of his offense, uh, as well as obviously the, the quarterback talent, and you know, no better than Joe Elite Flacco. But when you mentioned the four quarterbacks, I, I got a backup one just in case uh, it was only about the Saints' first drives and, and how pathetic they are. Oh, well, just you know, give it to us. Give us your, your second random stat. Well, it's, 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 it's just a, a rundown of the, the Saints' um, updated first drive charts. Uh, week one, field goal. Week two, punt. Week three, punt. Week four, field goal. <laughs> punt, miss field goal, miss field goal. Punt, 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 punt. Interception, <laughs> miss field goal. That's how we line up on our first drive, ladies and gentlemen. Not a single touchdown. And a lot of miss field goals. That's not great. Uh, if I'm being honest. Not great. <laughs> it's not great. Not uh, winning football. <laughs> so I like it. I like it. Uh, stat about the Browns with uh, multiple quarterbacks. So it's a good one. Uh, Dave. Yeah. Um, what is your random stat? So I've gone for more a random story than a random stat, but it is quite nice nonetheless. Now, cast your minds back to 1999. A very impressive season with the Super Bowl champions being the St. Louis Rams, of course. And we all know what game I'm talking about. However, in the lead-up to that special, special moment, there was one game in the divisional playoffs that had the headline, uh, the he- a headline for the wrong reasons. So the Minnesota Vikings travelled to the St. Louis Rams. Now, that game ended 49 points to 37. And I'm ju- I'll quickly read you some of the stats from that game. Vikings quarterback, Jeff George, 29 of 50, 423 yards, four touchdowns and a rating of 104. On the other side of the ball, one of the best play, one of the best games by a quarterback, Kurt Warner, 27 of 33, 391 yards, five touchdowns and a rating of 143. And it wasn't that, it wasn't any of these. They made the headlines. It wasn't the fact that Randy Moss nearly caught 200 yards in that game. Oh no. The LA Times wrote an article about that game. But the headline was not about anything to do with the game. So one of the players was stood at the Vikings bench during the fourth quarter. And after not getting a defensive pass interference call, This player squirted field judge Jim Saracino with water. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? No. However, however, (laughs) what happened after was what the LA Times reported on. That the the player was fined $40,000 for that. In today's money, that is $74,000. Thanks to inflation. That player overshadowed his entire game because of that. And that is what the media picked up on. That player 
was Randy Moss. Randy Moss was fined in today's money equivalent of $74,000 despite nine catches, 188 yards, two touchdowns, and so, uh, some amazing catches. But it was overshadowed by one, one silly decision to squirt water at the, at the field judge after he was ignoring his shouts from the bench. And that reminded me, actually, of what DK did and what he's done a couple times this season of just poor discipline in light of some really good play. And I think a lot of the, the players in the league can learn from something like this. This, is, this has been going on, this is 24 years ago. And, you know, it, it was... I mean, how, how on earth the media picked up on this as one of the key things from the game? One of the most spectacular games ever. But the LA Times ran with a story about Randy Moss getting fined for squirting a line judge. I think it, it provides a little message for players that they should learn from. Don't squirt water from the line judge. And my, fa- my favourite uh, sentence from that article, though, my very favourite one, was that um, a Vi- the Viking spokesman, Bob Hagen, said the bottle probably contained water. So there was serious, <laughs> questions. <laughs> <laughs> serious questions about what was in said water bottle. But uh, yeah, but, uh, it's sometimes some of the most ridiculous things happen on a football field. <laughs> and I mean, being fined $74,000 in today's money for squirting the line judge with water after he was ignoring him. So that is my, more a random story than a ran, uh, random stat. So that that's why I'm offering to today's show, I'm afraid. That's nothing wrong with that. That's, I'm glad it contained water. Do you know? There were some stats. <laughs> like, were, well, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe well, contained yeah, water. I'm, more than likely. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, uh, you know, obviously with um, the state of some referees and not just back in the day, but also today, um, I wouldn't have been, I, I wouldn't have put past him that there may have been alternate uh, substances within that water bottle. But uh, yeah, Randy, Randy Moss, 188 yards in that game, nine receptions, two touchdowns. The, uh, the, the Vikings put up 37 points and it was Randy Moss's fine that made the, the headlines. Wonderful, Dave. Thank you for that story. I like it. I like it a lot. Yes, let, let, let's. I'll end my my part in this podcast on urine. Um, I, <laughs> uh, I also have two. I have two random stats as well. Mm. Um, that that very very quick. Um, in the year two thousand and three, the most valuable player of the year. Now, as you guys know, you have the AP, which is Associated Press. Uh, Associated mm-hmm. Press, uh, most valuable player, and you have the PFWA, which is the Pro Football Writers of America. They they both give their um, their their votes for the MVP. In two thousand and three, the AP voted for Peyton Manning and Steve McNair. It's actually tied for mm. um, MVP honors. However, the PFWA selected Jamal Lewis running back for the for the Baltimore Ravens as their MVP and that is the last time that they picked different people every year from 2004 onwards they picked exactly the same person so in 2003 uh, Peyton Manning and Steve McNair shared honours 
Uh, but Jamal Lewis got it for the PFWA. That is my first random stat. Uh, and my second random stat, I had to do this. When I saw this, I thought, I just need to put this in for random stat. Now, the all-time leader for yards per pass attempt in a single season is Sid Luckman of the 1943 Chicago Bears. And he went for 19.9 yards per pass attempt, which is a lot, but, you know, it was 1943. So uh, that's that's just a little bit ridiculous. Yards yeah, throwing attempt. rocks. <laughs> they were just throwing rocks. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? <laughs> throwing rocks for 20 yards. That's pretty, that's probably the... I mean, the, these balls were different back in the day. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure they were probably heavier as well. So, you know, if you can throw a rock 20 yards on average, that, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, so uh, as far as yards per completion goes, uh, said Luckman, that year was 10.9. 10.9 yards per completion. But as I say, 1943, so it's, it's, it's a bit out mm. of there. In recent times... The highest, the year 2000, Dave, one Kurt Warner, went 9.9, 9.9 yards per completion. Uh, the only one even close to him, uh, 1998, Chris Chandler, 9.6, and Ryan Tannehill in 2019, 9.6. But there is another player who has 9.9 yards I know per completion. And I've got here my hype train whistle for Mr. Brock Purdy <laughs> in the 2023 season, who currently has 9.9 yards per completion, leading the league by a mile. It's time for the Brock Purdy hype train whistle. <laughs> oh, yeah. It had to be done, Dave. And you know it, uh, because I also came across another stat. <laughs> I did. I, 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 out I, of you now. This, is, this isn't the, the sort of like an, an actual run, is that because I'm just throwing names out here? I don't have the actual stats in front of me. Um, but I was listening to um, another, I can't remember, remember who it was. It might have been Good Morning Football. Uh, I forget. So, citation is not present. Please don't sue me for plagiarism. I don't know if you've seen everything going on with plagiarism and sports YouTube. Uh, but. People talk about yards after the catch, don't we? Yak. Yak. Lots of people like to talk about yak, don't they, Dave? When it comes to quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brock Party's receivers this year have a lower percentage of yak than Patrick Mahomes did in 2022, than Aaron Rodgers did in 2021, than Aaron Rodgers did in 2020, than Lamar Jackson did in 2019, then Patrick Mahomes did in 2018, and then Tom Brady's did in 2017. They all had more yak, on average, than Brock Purdy. So this whole idea of him being a system QB, absolute nonsense. Brock Purdy's a real deal. Uh, I, I like Brock Purdy, I really do. But the, the irony is not lost on me. How much you hate Tom Brady, but love <laughs> That's because Brock Brody's not a system QB as Tom Brady was. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, listen. Uh, what's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers record just now? Does anyone know? Hey, tied first for that division. Uh, but what, what's the record? Yeah. Six and seven. Six and seven. Guess what the record was this time with Tom Brady last year? Six and seven. 
So Baker Mayfield, just as good as Tom Brady (laughs) with less weapons. Explain it. If you can explain why Baker Mayfield is doing just as well as Tom Brady with less weapons than Tom Brady had, therefore he must be a better quarterback than Tom Brady. So how can Tom Brady be the goal? I'm just saying... Just saying, throwing out that Tom Brady system quarterback. You could say that every week. You know, of course I can. Like Jake Browden probably had, had a better week than Joe Burrow has. Does that mean he's better than Joe Burrow? No. Of course not. That would be a ridiculous thing to see. That's a exactly. very small sample that, size. That would Jake. be preposterous. I'm going to cause a much larger sample size here. Much larger. <laughs> you know okay, I'm um, right. You all know I'm right. Yeah. I don't know why you argue with me all the time, guys. I, anyway. I am just... Point yeah, is, I, I, I am short. I'll bet you are. Uh, the point is, yeah, that um, <laughs> I actually wanted the stat to be about Kurt Warner, Steve, and then I saw Brock Purdy's name two spots below him and went, hang on a second, <laughs> he's got the same. Absolutely. I swear, hand on heart, I was looking it up and I saw Kurt Warner's name and I went, this would be a good one, 9.9. That's the highest, you know, in years and years and years. And then I was like, oh, hang on a second. There's Brock Purdy throwing him in there. Um, so yeah, that is my rand- those are my three random stats. Um, <laughs> and I can tell that Dave loved at least two of them. Well, do you know what? Do you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'll spice it up. We always have a backup random stat. Mine is very quick. Go for it. Uh, there are only two players over one thousand five hundred yards from scrimmage this season. One of them is Tyreek Hill, and he sat in second place, one thousand five hundred and fifty seven. First have a guess. CMC. CMC. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. One that, and he's got more yards Paul from pa- scrimmage oh, than All I'm thinking Hill. of is Paul Patrick. <laughs> Paul <laughs> Patrick with his random stats. <laughs> he needs about 12 entries for this podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Pat. And also, shout out to the highest rookie, Puka Nakua. 1,164 yards. He's seventh on the list in the entire league. Puka is just blowing them away. What, the, man's having, what pick. the man is having an incredible... And do you know what I didn't notice? I only noticed it this week. He doesn't wear gloves. Does, does, uh, does he not, no, no, does he not wear gloves he, at all? Because I, I watched him... I think he has. He has a couple uh, once or twice, but I think he prefers to play without. It's, it's just a preference. So Mike like, Evans without, and he's like, see, this guy gets it. Uh, uh, not exactly the best example I want Puka Nakua to follow but, just, but yeah. honestly Mike Evans what what 10 years with like 1,000 yards if he yeah, becomes yeah. half the player Mike if, Evans is I, you know, I was just going to say Dave Jake is absolutely right if Puka Nakua's career is 50% of Mike Evans's that's a really good career yeah, that, it wasn't his play on the pitch that I was kind of, uh, you know, pointing out. I, I, he's a very hot-headed young guy, and I'm kind of still fresh from the DK scenarios and, you know, some other receivers that are, have got unquestionable talent. But nah, he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll be okay. I mean, he, he's so yeah. talented. And as long as well, he's not an idiot, then you guys are going to do great. He's got so much talent, and he's actually showing it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, because, I mean, he was, what round did they draft him in? Fifth. Fifth, a fifth round pick. It's not like a yeah. like a first round bust. Like we were talking about. Um, apologies to our listeners for going on here. Uh, we were talking about the um, the Jerry Judy uh, and that that entire draft class with with Henry Ruggs and yeah, with, oh, yeah, oh, um, yeah, yeah. C D Lamb, Justin Jefferson was in there, and all these players. Michael Pittman, Jr. Jalen Rager, Jalen Rager. 
But you, you look at the, like, so you had three, I mean, CD Lamb this year has looked great. And last year looked pretty good. This year he's looked fantastic. But there's Jerry Judy there. And, you know, he's a first round draft pick. And he's not playing like one. In fact, I, I didn't mention it in the recap, but I was going to, and it slipped my mind. So I'm going to mention it now. He dropped an absolute dime by Russell. It was it was on the sidelines. Russell Wilson was running for his life, throwing, and, you know, uh, he had to go for the sidelines. But J- Judy dropped the pass. That would have been like a 45-yard play, and he dropped it. Mm. And then he caught one in the end zone. It was very similar to the, was it Deontay Johnson for the Steelers, where he caught the pass, gets his first foot in, has four yards to go and can't get yep. a second foot in. And you're thinking, what oh, are you... Pick, Pickens one. Oh, sorry, was that Pickens? I beg oh. your pardon. Pickens, yeah. I knew it was one of the Steelers players. You're thinking, what is going on? You, you, can't, you don't know to drag or tap a foot. Take some lessons from Cortland Sutton, for goodness sake. I, I'm out in Jerry Judy. If they, if they shipped him tomorrow, I wouldn't bat an eyelid. I really wouldn't. I don't think he adds anything to the team. Um, he drops passes... He he still runs routes incredibly well and gets opened by five yards and then drops the ball and hits him. And he complains, I'm not getting the passes. Well, he got loads of passes in this game and he couldn't make any plays. Cortland Sutton had three targets. He went for 77 yards and a touchdown on three targets. So anyway, sorry, guys, I went off. I didn't mean to do that. Um, that is the end of our podcast. Hey. Next week we have a week fifteen. I got it right. Week fifteen recap, followed by uh, Winnipeg Awards. We will then have our week sixteen rapid fire preview, and of course, random stats. Four weeks to go, gentlemen. Um, I should say to our uh, listeners, as the weeks progress, as uh, teams become eliminated from the playoffs, and um, we are going to concentrate more on the playoff teams as they go through. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking more and more about their playoff teams, a little less about teams who've been eliminated. So for fans of teams, as an example, Panthers, Cardinals, Patriots who've been eliminated, uh, we will probably spend a little less time talking about your teams. Please don't take that as a personal slight, just that it's a lot of work for us guys here. And we've got so many games to cover. And it's just really, really difficult whilst trying to keep down full-time jobs we don't get paid to do this we do it for the love of it but if you ever have to watch that vikings raiders game again you know your love for the game wanes slightly that's all i'm gonna say so, like, it really does i had to sit through that entire game and it was, it was painful so um just as a small heads up um we're really looking forward to the next four weeks playoff uh, teams are getting decided as i say teams are going to be getting eliminated every week as we get closer and closer to the playoffs absolutely cannot wait for it uh so jake thank you very much for your time always a pleasure dave thank you for your time i think you've got the same record as the panthers and getting the week uh, the week numbers right but uh yeah we'll end on that bombshell two in a row at least (laughs) uh we will in that bombshell thank you for everyone listening at home and we will catch you on next week's episode of the winnifel show